Welcome to Sisflix, the podcast where we won't judge you for talking through the movie. Sisflix are the movies you laugh at, yearn for, and overanalyze with your girls, significant others, and now us. We are your hosts, Paola and Naja, two sisters and designers who discuss chick flicks we hate to love, tropes we love to hate, and all of the aesthetic choices in between. Join us as we break down our favorite movies together. Hey, sister. Hey, sister. Here we are in the year of our Lord, 2024, January, second week. Second week of fucking January. End of the second week of January, the date of recording. Goodness and me. dear listener, I, I do hope as you listen to this that you and us have realized that New Year's resolutions are for the birds and we should all be <laughs> we should all be the same people we've always been and there's no point in improving the world's on fire you're crazy that's my campaign message Naja 2024 <laughs> it is bleak shit's bleak it's an election year we don't want to talk about it because we'll lose another few hours just to that conversation alone and to lighten up the mood why don't we talk about this week's movie and what are we covering, Naja? We are covering Brown Sugar. Super fun, kind of updated urban take on, and I mean urban just because of like the hip hop culture. I'm not using that as a code word for black. Oh, you had to clarify. Dog. I, <laughs> I mean, I have, I have so many stories from former workplaces where people said urban when you know they didn't mean urban. Oh, but an updated take on a When Harry Met Sally type friends to lovers story. So I had not seen this movie prior to the holiday break, my holiday break, Paola's holiday work of having her kids at home. And Paola has loved this movie for years and years, has wanted us to watch it forever. And that was just the first time we really like sat down and did it. And there are so many comparisons to be drawn between this movie and When Harry Met Sally any mm-hmm. honestly like friends to lover story because i feel like when harry met sally is the that is the it's main like, it's the colonel yeah, the og the og this movie's like it's it's very cute there are lots of things to praise about it and even more things to make fun of and i'm excited to do that no yeah i've loved this movie for a very long time and i actually didn't draw the comparisons to when harry met sally until recently i feel like where my rewatches were like closer together mm-hmm and I was like, oh, my God. Then when I watched it with Naja, I'm like, did you see? Did you see? Did you hear? Did you hear? I think it's exciting to find a lot of callbacks. I think that this definitely feels like the When Harry Met Sally for the culture. Like, I mean, it's it's a universal story. Mm-hmm. They followed the blueprint very closely. And finding all the references are a lot of fun. The only thing that makes me a little sad is that... This movie's considered like a cult classic. And I feel like that is such a disservice to the rom-com world because once you label something a cult classic, right, it means it belongs to like a certain group of people, a very niche. And it's like, it's not though. We would never consider when Harry met Sally a cult classic. It's what, maybe because it, it, it revolves around hip hop. 
I mean, but La La Land revolves around jazz, and we don't consider La La Land the cult classic. Yeah, it, Paola, just... the key difference you're leaving out is that La La Land revolves around jazz and white people's experience and... of jazz, and Brown Sugar revolves around hip-hop and black people's experience of hip-hop. Yes, and the fact that because of that, now it has to fall into a niche because we have predominantly black actors. Mm-hmm. It's so disappointing because so many people should watch this movie because it's so good. So with all that said, mm-hmm. we recommend Brown Sugar. You enjoy a rom-com. You enjoy a friends to lovers. Good storytelling. Do you have a pacing. lot of early 2000s nostalgia? Do you have a lot of early 2000s nostalgia? Because listen, the clothes, the technology, the, the hair, hair, the makeup, the music, it's all here. Do you appreciate beauty? Because Sanaa Lathan is fine as hell. Oh, the people in this movie are so attractive. They're beautiful. Jesus. The figure. Yeah, my God. Tay Diggs. Okay. <laughs> Shut your damn mouth. Yes. So we highly recommend Brown Sugar if you love any of those things. It's currently available on streaming. It's available on Stars, Hulu, Prime. You can stream this for free right now. So take advantage while it's out and it's winter. It's still, it feels still in season, right? Because it's more of an autumn movie. It is. I mean, they go through New Year's as well. They, they have a New seasons. Year's bit. Um, so, they, so, so they span through seasons, but mostly like fall, winter months. Mm-hmm. It still feels in season right now. So... Brown Sugar, released in 2002. It was written by Michael Elliott and Rick Famuyiwa. It was directed by Rick Famuyiwa. And it is starring Tay Diggs as Andre Romulus Ellis. Sanaa Lathan as Sydney Sid Shaw. And so many cameos and like guest spots and famous people show up in this fucking movie that watching it, blew my fucking mind honestly just even just the first five minutes the number of legends that you see it is back to back to back and I'm not even I'm not a connoisseur of hip-hop I'm not a huge consumer of hip-hop or of rap but Paola is was has been my brother-in-law is was has been and like even I was recognizing so many people that I was like how the fuck did they get everybody to be in this movie holy shit I can't even like I'm a very casual hip hop consumer. I, I mean, don't agree I had, with that. I had my of course in my youth, I had my phase. <laughs> I'm dead in my youth. <laughs> Shut your fucking mouth. In my youth, I definitely had my phase. Obviously, we're talking early 2000s like Big Fabulous, Jay-Z, like it fizzled obviously after you're like an adult and have kids and you're more careful about what you're listening to. As I've said before, Paola really cares about the content (laughs) moderation for her kids. And I love that because nowhere where I grew up did adults give a fuck what we were listening to. It's changed so much. Like, I I have a hard time listening to, like, mainstream hip-hop right now. It's very different. For me, I stopped listening to new shit, maybe Drake 2016. Okay, I see. And, like, new things will come out of, like, our favorite past artists. They'll re-release stuff or release new stuff, and then we'll listen to that. Mm -hmm. But I feel like I've lost – I lost the plot somewhere, um, Mm -hmm. and I can't keep up with new stuff. So I'll say I was a big late 90s, early 2000s hip-hop fan. I think it was the Grammys. Yeah, I think it was at the Grammys. Yep, yep, yep. Hip-hop history on full display during a star-studded Grammy salute, blah, 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 blah. 
Yes, they did that at last year's Grammys, and it was so. I mean, it's ter- it's it's a hard feat to try to span fifty years of hip hop because it's evolved in so many ways. Oh, for sure. But I mean, the artists that came out, like you had Missy, you had Busta Rhymes, like people like you. At this point, you're like, oh shit, that's right. Oh shit, that's right. That song. Oh shit, that's right. This guy. That was a really dope performance. I hope they do that again. I hope they do that again. I hope they do that again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think this is a fun movie for us to do coming out of 2023, 50th anniversary of hip hop. This is a fun movie for us to do considering how much we love When Harry Met Sally. This is a fun movie for us to do as non-white people who are constantly consuming white media and need to remind ourselves that that's not all there is. A hundred percent. And I and like you guys heard me say before, like it has become my favorite follow up to When Harry Met Sally because of all the parallels but also just we love rom-coms and it's so hard to find diversity in rom-coms but again it's getting better in the year of our lord of alex claremont <laughs> but sometimes you forget that some of these movies are out there it's just it's true they're not marketed they're promoted so poorly Nobody is looking at Brown Sugar in our sphere. No one is looking at this retrospectively and being like, this is my favorite rom-com. You know, and for somebody who consumes so much romantic comedy and so many romantic dramas, Chick flicks. Like, you would expect this to just come up on my feed. It doesn't. I have to go search for it. Like, it doesn't get suggested, which is why I've bought it and I have it and it's mine. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, is that due to the inherent racism of algorithms on all of the apps that we use? Maybe. I don't know. I'm not making exactly. any claims and you can't sue me. But we wanted to give this movie its flowers because it deserves them. And we wanted to make fun of it a little bit because it deserves that too. Of course. I mean, I love making fun of the 2000s. Come on. There's a lot. There's just too much. Oh, it's, it's great. There's so much. Brown Sugar, released in 2002, written by Michael Elliott and Rick Famuyiwa, directed by Rick Famuyiwa, who has also written um or rather directed excuse me other movies like the wood and dope which came out in 2015 i love dope i saw that in theaters and i thought it was like really awesome but i have not seen any of his other movies well he does he's done a lot of shows oh yeah so he's he's doing he's on the mandalorian that's wild and the shy okay very cool yeah so he's been he's out here he's working michael elliott wrote just right <laughs> so that's which is one of my Paula loves that movie this is you a guys. comfort just right is a comfort movie for me <laughs> that one may come up again one day it is so cute it's very cheesy it's, yeah duh but it's queen latifah so it's charming and it's common which i know he looked good you know he looked good like mike starring Speaking of the early 2000s. What a throwback, dude. Holy shit. God, Bow Wow was the hip-hop answer to Aaron Carter. Um, Oh, my God. I associate them in my mind. (laughs) Oh, no. And Carmen, a (laughs) hip-hopera. Girl, do you remember when that came out? I do. Yes. It was so bad. It was so bad. I do remember that. We watched it when it premiered on TV. We were so excited for Carmen to premiere. And was it MTV? I think it was MTV. It was MTV. It was MTV. It was like Beyonce's like debut role, right? In 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 a movie. And it was meant to be very dramatic and dark, I guess. It was not that it was bad. Good. It was bad. It was. Uh... So starring Sanaa Lathan as Sydney, Sid Shaw, 
mostly known for love and basketball. I was looking up her career. She has done mad shit. She's a theater actress. She's done voiceover work. Mm -hmm. She's done a ton of movies. She's out here and she looks fucking amazing. She's like in her fifties now. She looks incredible. Oh, the best man movies as well. Those are super popular. Tay Diggs as Andre Romulus Ellis. If you just heard a sound, that was my husband in the background going, "Mm, Tay Diggs. It's a handsome man. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, Brown Sugar is not their first movie together. He has been in tons of shit. He has been a Broadway actor. He originated his role in Rent. I'm forgetting. I'm not like a Rent head, but Mm -hmm. my cousins really are. So I remember that he originated his role in the Broadway production of Rent. And he also starred in the movie version of Rent in the same role. He was in How Stella Got Her Groove Back. He's been in Grey's Anatomy, Private Practice, Set It Up, an elite rom-com that we intend to do one day. He's in Chicago. As the MC, that move, Chicago. I fucking His love range. that movie. He's, you know, he's. I don't he's know, incredibly I think he's talented. Underrated. He's incredibly talented. This dude, singing, dancing, acting. Come on now, triple threat. We also have in supporting roles Boris Kojo and Nicole Parker as their respective partners throughout the movie, and Queen Latifah and Most Def as their confidant. Best friend roles. Queen Latifah deserves better, and so does Most Def. They are hysterical in this movie. The costume designer is Daryl Johnson. He is also the costume designer for Poetic Justice with Janet Jackson and Tupac. The production designer is Kalina Ivanov. And the song Love of My Life was created for this movie by Erica Badu in Common and was nominated for Best Song Written for a Motion Picture at the 2003 Grammys. This also received 17 other nominations through the BET Awards, Image Awards, Teen Choice Awards, and Black Reel Awards. <laughs> since prestigious award shows don't include black movies or many rom-coms yikes that's the truth ain't that the truth all right sister so i'm gonna hit you with the scorecard yes is this a straight or a queer story this is a straight story she's a straight, straight as hell. story straight, as, straight hell. as hell they're all very straight so maybe in the hip-hop world up until now thanks to nas x you didn't I'm really dead. see a lot of queer representation <laughs> yeah. in hip-hop world. So I guess maybe that, that attributes to this. I mean, but you're in New York City, and you're surrounded by amazing black people. There's a queer one among you. <laughs> I'm so There's sorry. a queer one that. somewhere. Find them. <laughs> Find them. And listen, if we would like some queer black representation... I also recommend Fellow Travelers. Incredibly good. Well done. I think it's very much worth seeing. Uh, I can't wait to fucking start watching it. Yeah, dude. I can't wait for you to tell me about it. All right. Does Brown Sugar have source material? It does not have source material. It is an original screenplay by Michael Elliott. But when Michael Elliott wrote it, he was inspired by the song Seven Days by Mary J. Blige. And if you listen to the song... After watching this movie, the lyrics, it pretty much plays out exactly how you see this movie play out, which I think that's a fun anecdote. It was inspired by Seven Days. Love that. Is the story by a man or woman? A man. Is the movie by a man or woman? It was also directed by a man. I'll say this, though. For a story that's written and directed by a man, I love how women are portrayed in this movie. They are successful, they are strong, they are independent. Cool, calm, collected. They're the ones with their shit together for the whole movie. They're the ones that have their shit together. And for a movie that revolves around a love triangle, 
there's no crazy needy cattiness like kudos to the men behind this movie i love how they portrayed the women in their roles i think they did the women justice and what is the trope my favorite baby friends to lovers let's go let's go all childhood friends too i feel like childhood friends to lovers. that is a deep that's next level that's deeper it's so much more sentimental yeah i love it all right so paula hit us with the small back of the book summary back of the book summary we have sydney played by sanai lathan and dre played by tay diggs can both attribute their friendship and the launch of their careers to one single childhood instant, witnessing the birth of hip-hop on a New York street corner. Now, some 15 years later, she is a revered music critic, and he is a successful, though unfulfilled, music executive. Both come to realize that their true life passions will only be fulfilled by remembering what they learned that day on that corner. Aw, it sounds a little sweet. A little interesting, a little deep. So this movie opens up on very cool shots of the New York elevated trains, which you see throughout the boroughs. You see these more uptown than anywhere else in Manhattan. Uptown and in the boroughs. Yeah. Yeah. We got some very interesting 90s graffiti text letters for our opening credits. (laughs) Oh, they're bad. The the graphic design of the late 90s, early 2000s was not it. It really wasn't. But this movie definitely wanted to let you know right off the bat that our background or one of our main focuses is hip hop. And how do you do that? Apparently, it's by putting graffiti letters up on the screen. One thing I do love about this movie is they really make an effort to show you two sides of New York. You definitely do see the New York we all know and love, right? We see downtown, we see Central Park. You do get all of that because, you know, what's a New York rom-com without New York as a character? But they also include the lesser-known urban views of New York, which looks a lot like the New York we grew up at. And early childhood. And Naja was very young when we moved out. I was also young. I was only 11 going on 12. This was our early childhood New York. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure that is the Bronx. Yes. So I think is what they're in. A little yeah. later on in the movie, they mentioned that they're from the South Bronx. So, yeah. So you definitely know this movie's letting you know, oh, this movie is about hip hop. And that's what we call hip hop. <laughs> Paola doesn't know that video. <laughs> <laughs> but she should. And then you lock it like this. <laughs> hip hop. You go one, two, and. And that's what we call hip hop. <laughs> so sorry. Continue. <laughs> Please keep that in. I'm making a meme. Don't worry. Movie opens on a quad collage of multiple city shots. Shots of grown-ups in Alathan, city shots of the Bronx. Everything is in that terrible 90s graffiti font. And she's doing a voiceover. Like, this is Goodfellas is what I wrote because I'm okay. garbage. Um, <laughs> Ever since I could remember, <laughs> I've wanted to be a gangster. <laughs> God, I have to watch that movie. I have to watch that movie. That is camp. So good. Okay. It's really a classic. Yeah, so she's doing a voiceover, right? As we get through all of these shots of the Bronx, the trains, everything is bathed in like this orange glow. I would say the entire color saturation of this movie is incredibly warm, orangey yellow. In her voiceover, like she is 
Henry Hill from Goodfellas. (laughs) 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 Welcome to the opening credits. We're hearing her wax poetic about hip hop. We start to do multiple kind of like smash cuts from different hip hop figures, whether these are like locally known New York rappers, nationally known big time mainstream rappers, people that have been involved in hip hop culture since its inception. All of them are answering the question, when did you fall in love with hip hop? What she states is how she has started every single one of her interviews Mm -hmm. ever since, you know, she started for the past 10 years. This is how she's. Uh, started every one of her interviews that she's conducted Mm -hmm. i mean i could not possibly name them all because it is too many icons but it's method man common big boy quest love black thought jermaine dupree is in there it's like Mm -hmm. oh it is just bangers like even if you don't know hip-hop if you've never followed or not a fan you recognize some of these names and faces just from media I mean, Questlove, is, isn't he on Jimmy Fallon? Like, these personalities have been around for a long time and are a big part of pop culture that we consume. Sanaa Lathan continues in voiceover and says she remembers when she fell in love with hip-hop. One thing I love is, like, you're hearing all these, like, old-school heads talk about, like, when they fell in love with hip-hop. You know, and they show all of their answers but it all kind of coincides with the same imagery. You know, in the 70s, when there were turntables set up outside in the parks, outside of my building, all with the break dances and in the rap battles. It's almost like this collective community fell in love with hip-hop at its inception, which was those late 70s. And you know the visuals you're talking about. The break dancing on the street. Tracksuits, DJs, MCs. I think it's cool that you hear like these vast amount of people describing pretty much the same experience. And we cut to a shot of young Sanaa Lathan. So we will come to know her as Sid, Sydney, leaving her house alone, reckless. This little girl looks like she's 11. Going to the park alone, reckless. This little girl looks like she's 11. You know what? We grew up super sheltered. Our mom never would have never. But this was really regular in the city stop it i agree with everybody you. knew each other i agree with you and it makes me angry but to this day this is kind of a common thing to do in the city like like it's not uncommon for kids to take public transportation on their own while their parents are out at work to be very independent yeah that's very mm-hmm. much a city thing but this is no less jarring to me a suburban maggot so <laughs> she, <laughs> we see her leaving her house alone going to the park alone the streets are filled it looks like it's summertime there are people doing double dutch there are people playing hopscotch everybody is out at these parks there's a boom box going and there's a group of men playing basketball and there's another group of men in a circle off to the side and they are all freestyling together everything is bumping She makes eye contact with a little boy. They seem to know each other. He's also the only other little kid that is standing outside this circle of freestyling men. One of the freestylers, as they're pushing their way through the circle to see who's rapping, is a cameo by fucking Slick Rick. Okay? (laughs) Slick Rick. Paola had a massive Slick Rick phase when she was growing up. We did. Lottie Dottie. We like the body. We don't cause trouble. We don't bother nobody. Like, unmistakable voice, unmistakable style, like, rap delivery. Uh, it, I his mean, style is impeccable. Never has unmatched. Yeah. Never. Fucking cameo in this scene, which that one hit me immediately because I was like, is that fucking Slick Rick? And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, my God. 
Okay. <laughs> They're making it like a fictionalization of the birth of hip hop. This is implying that she and her friend are literally there as hip hop is being created in the park a block away from her apartment. She and her little friend witness this. It's dope. They walk back to their apartment or her apartment rather and say goodbye in front of a very sweet looking mom at her door. That's the last time we see a mom in this movie. No one has a family. Okay. (laughs) We cut. Now they're grown up. We are back to grown up Sinalathan. As they're experiencing this scene and they're saying goodbye in voiceover, you hear her say, I didn't know how much hip hop would be a part of my life. And as you're seeing them walk off, he's walking her home. You know, hip hop was young, naive and confused, innocent and mischievous as I was. And as I grew up, hip hop grew up with me. And then they cut to her being a grown up and she's writing this in an article. And you come to understand by her delivery and by the visuals that she's talking about hip hop. But hip hop is a metaphor for her relationship or her friendship with Dre. And that becomes a theme really throughout her narration, right? She anthropomorphizes hip hop. And what she's really doing is using it as a stand in for her existing friendship, her childhood relationship with who we will come to know as Dre played by Tay Diggs. Kind of like I discovered him as a friend around the same time we are discovering hip hop, this cultural movement that shaped our lives, right? Both personally and professionally. How hip hop shapes her life and how Dre in turn shapes her life. There's like a little double entendre of her describing how they've shaped her. So she's writing an article and as she's narrating this, this is being included in the article she's writing. I love when movies do this. I know it's a cliche, But I love when you're seeing this narration and then like you're seeing it written on screen. It's part of an article. It's whatever. I think it's smart exposition. It is smart. Thank you. Thank you. Exactly. So she's writing this article. You realize she's a journalist. She writes for the LA Times. A friend comes in. Hey, Dre's on the phone. So now they're grownups. You know, they're still friends. She picks up Dre's working in New York City for a big-time record label. And through this exposition, they've been friends throughout. They've always kept in touch. So you have the understanding that Dre has hit her up for a review on one of their artists of this label. Ha, ha, ha. This, This whole scene is meant for you to realize that they're still friends. And through this exposition, you learn that Sydney, who's currently working for the LA Times, just got a gig as the editor of Double XL, and she's moving back to New York City. But you know she's been in L.A. for a while. She's moving back to New York City, back to her hometown, back to where Dre is. So that's going to be fun to see. They miss each other. They can't wait to see each other. So the first time they will see each other after she goes back to New York will be at an industry party for Def Jam thrown by Russell Simmons. Which is like name drop, name drop, name drop, name drop. And their exchange during this scene is so flirty and like intimate sounding. And she's on speakerphone while he takes this call in like a big fancy boardroom, like filled with other record label people. The whole time I was like, can y'all not do this on speakerphone? Like what? We're having a meeting. Like stop it. I think she's trying to embarrass him. Well deserved, but still... (laughs) 
God. I was like, take that shit to the, take that to a room, okay? After this conversation, we cut to a New York rooftop party hosted by Russell Simmons. This is a Def Jam party. And if you're not a hip hop fan, this looks like a really dope party. Mm -hmm. Everybody's having a good time. She's getting hit on. Ha ha ha. She looks very great in her 90, in her early 2000s outfit. With two pigtails for <laughs> God knows what reason. And who's her date to this party? Queen Latifah. Queen Legend. Latifah. Legend. If you are a hip hop fan, though, you are going to recognize Fabulous, Beanie Siegel. They're checking her out. They're flirting with her. And you're like, oh, my God, hungry, hungry out here. The cameos in this movie are insane. So you have Queen Latifah as the role dog. Just as she sees Dre, who's having a good time, laughing it up, beautiful fucking smile, hits us with another metaphor. You ever thought you'd see the day that hip hop grew up? <laughs> <laughs> The things they make Sonali Lathan say in this movie, all right? We get a very romanticized view of Tay Diggs. But one thing that she does say that I do love is, you ever thought you'd see the day that hip-hop grew up? From red Kool-Aid block parties to champagne toasts in Soho. I love that line because it really just sums up. Hip-hop was like this underground culture for such a long time until it really did blow up and became mainstream. And... Everything you do and wear now is inspired by hip-hop culture. So I love that line because it really just sums up that trajectory. Which also, though, applies to Dre. We met him as a little boy in the hood walking at the park with his friend. And now he's this big-time music guy. So she's also describing that transition. He steps in. She sees him, but she doesn't. She lets him be in his space. She goes to order her drink at the bar. He steps in as she's ordering her drink and orders her drink for her cuz. Apparently, they know each other's drinks by heart. A perfect 10 and a vodka martini. But you got to say kettle one martini because they're probably sponsoring the movie. <laughs> so pretty much now they're just bougie martini drinkers. And this always makes me think about how I don't have a drink. I need a signature drink. Maybe it should be a martini. My signature drink used to be a gin and tonic because I think I heard someone say it and I was like that sounds like it's fun to say so then I would just order <laughs> it at good. bars all the time gin and tonic is like if Sprite was mostly alcohol <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like okay <laughs> okay it'll work is it it'll good do the job no it, it's not bad like I don't hate gin and tonics obviously I wouldn't drink them if I hated them but you know what's better sangria a little fruit punch with a twist of alcohol in it you know what's even better than that straight up fruit juice like i ah, i'm not all right alcohol is not your thing we're two of the worst people to ask for signature beverages because mine is chocolate milk and paola's <laughs> is probably like cafe con leche like cafe con leche you could spike it with a little irish cream anyway after this exchange they share a long caring haven't seen you in such a long time and i'm kind of in love with you hug and just as they're catching up girlfriend swoops in for the over-the-top pda yeah she's got to establish her territory her dominance he introduces them they haven't met each other they only heard of each other and she's gonna go ahead and pretend like she didn't see sydney hugging her man five seconds ago oh my god sydney wow i've heard so much about you 
So great to meet you now. They overcompliment each other as women who are a little self-conscious of the other one do. <laughs> they're trying they're trying so hard to seem like they're cool, but they're obviously wanting to rip each other's throats out with their teeth. They they capture I that don't know. so well. I, you know what though? I don't know that it's ripping each other. No, but there's definitely a competitiveness. I feel like you get that right away. And you don't get that in the dialogue. You don't get that any other way than them communicating that nuance in their acting. Kind of like, I'm Dre's girl. No, I'm Dre's girl. Like, oh, this is the girlfriend. Yeah, but I'm the best friend. I know him better. Like, you get that right away. This makes Dre uncomfortable. These are two women that he loves very much. One as a friend, one romantically. And he doesn't know what to do really he's just kind of like okay haha you guys are cute let's break this up <laughs> the girlfriend she's like okay great to meet you she walks off we meet her as reese and obviously they love each other very much because they have to have excessive pda in front of everyone mm -hmm. so to sid's discomfort she steps away and dre expresses to sid he thinks she's the one he is retiring his seduction playlist. The slow jams deluxe get the drawers tape. <laughs> <laughs> we have strayed so far from God's light. You ever think about that? Like just how far away we are from the light of the Lord. He is retiring his slow jams deluxe get the drawers playlist. Naja, what's on your get the drawers playlist? <laughs> I need to know. What gets your drawers? Now? What gets my drawers? I'm married, Paola. <laughs> How can your husband get your drawers? What song does he have? To uh, he goes to our uh, chest of drawers, <laughs> opens up the one that has my underwear in it, picks up a pair. That's how he gets them. Oh, my God. So while he's saying that he's going to retire his Get the Draws playlist, he shows Sydney an engagement ring at this party insane behavior I, I wrote that insane behavior why are you bringing your engagement ring to a Def Jam party Sydney is very obviously caught off guard Reese has obviously not been in the picture that long and she's just like you just met her five minutes ago and he's like yeah 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 but she's the one she's it blah 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 I mean and as a friend you're, you're just happy she's just she's like okay I'm gonna be happy for you great awesome and my man turns around and proposes at this party. Unhinged behavior. In a stairwell. What? <laughs> like, I get it. Maybe we're short on time. It's not that important. We don't need to focus on this proposal. This isn't who our story is about. But really, at the Def Jam party in a stairwell, we knew that wasn't going to last. Anyway, we cut. A month goes by, and we know a month goes by, because Queen Latifah says, I can't believe you've been here damn near a month. <laughs> you know what? One thing about this movie, there's exposition everywhere. It's because the movie does not tell you how much fucking time has ever passed. So, like... I can't believe you've almost been here a month. We've been friends for 10 years. Like, because they're not telling you. Some movies, right, especially if it's, like, seasonal, it'll be, like, today it's hot, and then tomorrow it's cold. Okay, I see what you and mean. And when like, it's cold, you're, like, time you. has passed. Or today there got are no it, decorations, but tomorrow there are lights up, and you're, like, the holidays are coming. Time has passed. Instead, true, true, true. it's just hot, the weather's the here. same, and then it's, like, bitch, you've been here a month. And it's, like, what? I thought this was the next day. Yes. 
there's definitely a lot of verbal exposition in this movie, which, you know, that's how we know where we're at and how much time has passed. I appreciate it. She is helping Sydney unpack her apartment. I think this is where you realize that she's her cousin. Yes, not her best friend. As she's helping her unpack boxes, she finds, you know, a very interesting toy. And this is the only way we know that she's single. Oh right? This is the God. way the, the movie is letting us know Sydney is single and lonely because they show us a vibrator. It's a personal massager from Brookstone. <laughs> she has to clarify. <laughs> this is a personal massager from Brookstone, bitch. But then follows it up with men take up too much of your time. And it's like, yes, girl, we know what you use it for. We know what personal <laughs> massagers are. Hello. Which one is this, Sydney? God. Is it a personal massager from Brookstone or is it men take up too much of your time? Yeah. Like what? Francine goes on to say that Sydney is turning into a Terry McMillan character. So, Paola, tell me who Terry McMillan is. Terry McMillan is none other than the novelist who wrote Waiting to Exhale and How Stella Got Her Groove Back, amongst other beautiful novels. So she's sad and forlorn. That's what she's trying to tell us with that. But fun fact, Tay Diggs actually plays the main love interest in When Stella Got Her Groove Back. So that's a little Easter egg. In the film adaptation of How Stella Got Her Groove Back. Do they have this conversation? Sydney says she can't find anybody that's on her same page. Men take up too much of your time. That's why I need the personal massager. Francine replies, ooh, like who? Like Dre? Mm, I bet you can't find anybody so else something, like Dre. Listen, something that we love is a best friend, character, cousin, sister, whatever, who is a chismosa, Okay. Mm-hmm. who is out here for the <laughs> violence. Did she have to say that? No, but she She's did it for us. You. She's out there like, oh, you mean the obvious thing? You dumb bitch. You think people don't fucking know you? I see you. <laughs> love that. We love family like that. Who's my family like that? It is my sister. Ooh. Has she told me things I didn't want to know? All the time. That's what I'm here for. I'm always at your service. Thank you. Thank you. Actually, she asks... If they ever thought of hooking up, have you ever thought of hooking up with Dre? And Sydney actually confesses. So this is the first time, you know, like, ooh, something might have went down. Sydney confesses that when they were in Columbia. That at Columbia. When they were at Columbia, the university. I'm so sorry. Mm-mm. Not in Columbia, the country. Not Columbia. Sydney confesses that when they were at Columbia University, he brought that shit up if they should be more than friends. And she shut that shit down and said no. And Francine, as she should, is like, girl, why? You could have had the buddy and the booty. Does she actually say that? She does say Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's a quote. Oh, my God. You could have had best of both worlds. But Sydney, she says, like, you know, she's scared of that not working out and her losing a friend because he's not very serious about women. So why would he be serious about her? And Francine goes, he's serious about Reese, (laughs) which is how I would have answered. Actually, listener, it fucking is how Paola would have answered. Paola (laughs) tells me about myself once every day. It's never what I want. It is rarely what I need. It's always what you need. I disagree. Sure. (laughs) Tell yourself that. (laughs) So this has reminded her that Reese invited her to her bridal shower and that she hasn't gone to go get a gift. So, of course, her prima's like, girl, I got you. I've got you covered. And something tells me that she doesn't have her covered. 
But we'll see. You know, we have faith. Woof. So, and this is the other thing that I mean about this movie. Like, it is hard to tell how time passes because at the start of the movie, it seems to be like summer. So it's like pretty warm. Everybody's kind of wearing like very summery attire. They're spending a lot of time outside. As we move through the movie, you do kind of see a seasonal change, but it's hard to know. Like, it's been a few weeks. It's been a day. It's been a month. So Reese's bridal shower, if you're going by the timing of the movie that we've gotten through exposition so far, is a month after her proposal question mark so a month into being engaged she's having a bridal shower i'm so confused but the 90s and the 2000s it's, it's all happening very fast it seems like that they were a wild time you know what i mean what what do i know right so she goes to reese's bridal shower which is this bougie kind of rooftop garden party situation she arrives hands reese the gift Reese is like, oh, my God, <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> this looks like an interesting gift. The girls who know, know, and the ones who don't, don't. Her fr- Reese's friends call her Reese's Pieces, which is very funny. And all of her friends <laughs> are bougie. You can tell. Like, every single box on the gift table is Tiffany blue, with the exception of the gift that Sid gives Reese. So there we go, just for more visual awkwardness. There's a shot of cucumber sandwiches. This is, like, again, a garden party, tea party. Sydney reaches for the cookies. Relatable. And she's eating for this entire scene. No one else is eating at this bridal shower except Sydney. She's the only one eating. She's so hungry. She's, again, a relatable queen. Now we cut to some bridal shower games. They're playing a game of how well do you know the groom, but Reese isn't playing? I... I'm confused. Like, I've seen this game, but I thought it was, like, for the bride. And then, like, the bride gets points if she gets the answer right Right. or whatever, right? Yes. That's how I've played this type of game before. Yeah. But they're playing the game, and it's for the friends to answer the questions. Like, for the guests of the bridal party to, to answer the questions about the groom. And then the bride tells them if they're right or not. That's how it seems like they're playing. So, Sydney, obviously, in between mouthfuls of cookie answers every question correctly because she knows everything about dre's life she should have kept some of that shit to herself because they made it awkward real quick it made it awkward for absolutely (laughs) fucking everybody and it kind of solidified this unspoken competition between these two ladies because now it's like who knows dre better so the way that i perceived it as the viewer is that sid is definitely uncomfortable but i don't think she's trying to like sabotage reese but Reese is clocking it as sabotage. Reese is like Mm -hmm. receiving what Sid is doing as aggression, where Sid is like truly just being awkward. She's definitely seeing it as a threat. Not, and I don't mean like aggression, like they're going to fight, but I'm saying like, I know him Uh so well. Like she's seeing it pointed. Whereas Sid is just kind of like, that's his middle name. I know it. This is drink order. I know it. We're friends. Like it's very (laughs) like, she's not acknowledging like how she should just have shut up. (laughs) Right, right. She's not reading the room. Right. And that's probably because I got the sense from Sid that she's not really out here in like she's not out with the girl girls. circles. She's not. She's out of her comfort zone. I think she's somebody who kind of keeps to herself. Mm-hmm. Maybe a bit of an introvert. A maybe just focuses on her work. And so when it's coming to like these group and big female interactions, she's not reading the room. No. This scene did give me a little bit of a my best friend's wedding vibes. But I know she's not maliciously looking to sabotage their relationship. But you definitely get that sense of competitiveness. And you definitely get from Reese's point of view that she's threatened. They move on to opening gifts. 
Sydney's gift, as we mentioned, is the only one that's not in a Tiffany's box. So all these other gifts are bougie as hell. My girl Reese is receiving crystal champagne flutes, like expensive shit from Tiffany's. It could be that she registered at Tiffany's. Oh, that's where her you know, bridal shower normal was people registered do. at. If I had registered anywhere, it would have been Target. Tiffany, <laughs> fuck out of my face. And you know what? You should stick to people's registries, okay? Wherever they registered at, just stick to their registry. Unless you're going to give them something... Cash. Personal. Cold hard cash. Money. Diamonds. Cash. Gold bars. You know, I get it. Cash can be... It can feel like impersonal and blah, blah, blah. Gift cards to where they're registered. If you can't do that, give them something ultra personal. Cash. It's got to be... What's more personal than cold hard American green? Cash. (laughs) (laughs) As a person who recently got married, cash. When in doubt, cash it out. Cash it out. Oh, I like that. Paola is anti-opening gifts at parties. Why are we opening gifts at parties? To make people feel bad. Quite literally, that's the only reason to... It's to celebrate some and embarrass others. Don't open gifts at the party. I must agree. Just say thank you. Say thank you and send the thank you card. If you're that kind of person. Or just send a text message. Hey, thank you for the gift. (laughs) That's it. So after Tiffany or... Tiffany. Yeah, that's her name. After Reese opens these champagne flutes, you get the impression that she's been opening gifts for a little while now. Sydney, yes, she is still eating, for those of you wondering at home. And Reese goes to open Sid's gift. Sid is giving dad at Christmas, okay? Because mom bought the gift and dad is just as surprised <laughs> as you are. So yeah. she can't wait to see what she got Reese. Oh, what is it? It's a fucking black leather thong with a zipper in the front. And everyone at this frou-frou bougie bridal shower is embarrassed as hell, except for Aunt Betty, legend. Aunt Betty's like, nice. Oh, that's a good one. I'm going to get me one of those. And Reese, luckily, seems to have good PR training. She makes a little joke, tries to save the moment. And everybody's like, ha, 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 and forgets Moves about on. It. And Sid is burning with all of the cookies she's eaten and the fire of so much embarrassment. Francine did not have you. Francine, she, she didn't absolutely let no. you down. Did she not hold you down. you down. Let you down. <laughs> um, we cut to what we know to be Central Park. It's not a very flashy part of Central Park, but it is Central Park nonetheless. I love that they're walking through Central Park. This is obviously very New York rom com coded. Yes. I miss the fall foliage, of course. This is supposed to be in the summer, so I understand why there's no fall foliage. But but she's wearing a jacket and stockings and calf boots. I feel, I don't think this is a summer. I think. Oh, maybe it's like September. Maybe this is late summer, early fall. What if they told us what time of year it was? That'd be so crazy. <laughs> but <laughs> So she's shoving a hot dog into her face and is hype. I mean, she's elated to be eating this hot dog. She's there with Dre. He's also elated to be eating this hot dog. He's basically like, Reese is so bougie. I never fucking eat hot dogs anymore. These are so fucking good. Sid is like, I'm so fucking hungry. There was no goddamn food at this stupid bridal shower. What the fuck? I only ate cookies. I only ate cookies the entire time. Someone help me. So (laughs) Sanaa Lathan is really struggling to walk in her heels. Oh, she cannot walk in these heels. Can somebody please get her flats? Get her some boots. She don't need to be in heels. Like, she honestly does not have a good heel walk. It bothers me. (laughs) Maybe that's me being judgy. Actually, no, it is me being judgy. That's so funny. So Sid is like, thanks for meeting me. (laughs) <laughs> Dre goes, you my dog. <laughs> you my dog, dog. And I need everyone to know that the subtitles have it spelled as D-A-W-G. D-A-W-G. 
Paola's my dog. The subtitles got it. Yo, I, you know I got that dog in me, and my dog is my dog Peanut, who is asleep behind me. She is the dog in me. But now, as they're talking, chatting, talking about hip hop, as they do, I don't think they've talked about anything else. Now we get the definition of brown sugar after Dre is like, you know, Reese, Reese is brown sugar. We can assume that Sid knows what that means, but she goes, why don't you tell me again for the audience watching the movie? Tell me what brown sugar is, because you know I know. We've discussed this at length. You're my best friend. Definition of brown sugar, quote, wifey material. A woman that's fine, smart, classy, but not a snob. I don't know if that's Reese, my G. Hella, hella sexy, but not a hoe. That's brown sugar. No, honey, that's misogyny. I, I love the small display of misogyny we get here regarding women and what they should be. Well, like, dog, why are we talking about whether or not she's a hoe? She's with you, isn't she? Shut up. We make some small steps into the reasons for the Barbie monologue territory here. This is why the Barbie monologue exists, because of shit like this. To be able to be wifey material, pretty much, you got to be a lady in the streets, but a freak in the sheets. <laughs> I only, anytime I hear that, I only hear it in Ludacris's voice. (laughs) So apparently Dre and Reese have a great sex life and Sid very, very, very much does not want to hear about it. I also want to comment on what they're wearing, right? So we've made a a few jokes, a handful of jokes on like early 2000s, late 90s, like what the fuck they're wearing. The the fashion's a little uh, wacky. And Tay Diggs is wearing such a 90s suit. So we see his character to be kind of constantly well-dressed, right? Like they're signaling to you that he's a guy that has money, that he's a yuppie, up and coming. Tay Diggs has this gorgeous fucking skin, light colors just bounce off of it. He always looks so good and put together, especially the first half of this movie. And the style though, changes fit right like each era has a fit that it sticks to the 90s and 2000s were an era of baggy clothes and larger fits so this suit is like very generous on him it's well tailored but the fit is like of the era and tay diggs is not a very tall man him and sanaa lathan aren't that different in height so it dwarfs him. Like he just looks smaller and smaller every time he wears big clothes. And this suit makes him look like a teenager playing in his dad's clothes. Like he, (laughs) but it's a great looking suit. I mean, my man looks good. As they're walking together, they end up at some kind of like glassware, ceramics, tchotchke, knickknack store. And they're looking for decorations for Sid's apartment. Right. As we learned from Queen Latifah, girl, you've only been here for a month. And her apartment is barely unpacked. She clearly doesn't spend a ton of time there. And as they're going through, doing a little banter, looking at different things, they got mistaken for a couple by the store attendant. And both of them have like a way outsized reaction to this. Like I've been mistaken for a couple with some of my friends and we're just like, no. And then like move on with our lives. Like they clearly have feelings about it. Well, more her than him. She goes to the point where he's like, why do you have to say it like that? She goes, Please, we're just friends. (laughs) And Trey's like, why you have to say it like that? Like, I ain't shit. Because you ain't. Because you ain't. Because you ain't. When he goes off on his, like, what's brown sugar, his wifey rant, right? Because that's one type of woman is brown sugar is one type of woman. But then you got the Cindy Lauper honeys, right? They just like to have fun. And then Sydney asks him while they're at this store, you know, she's like, Oh, that's right. I forgot being best friends with a man means I get to find out the stupid and simple ways they look at women. Not going to lie, yo. She ain't wrong. 
And he agrees. He's like, yeah, that's how men are. Stupid and simple. And you're like, that's right, Tate Diggs. Applause. Mm -hmm. And he fucking follows it up with, that's the problem with y'all women. Y'all too complicated. I'm not going to lie. He says some incredibly self-aware things like throughout this movie. And then he just, and then buckles it up with some shit like this. Right. But it's self-aware in the wrong direction. It's like, I want you to be self-aware and better. Not self-aware like this. And just accepting. Self-aware and just accepting. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, I guess yeah, I'm like that. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> he describes wifey material. Basically says like, well, am I wifey material? Like, what type am I? So the joke that Paula has written into the outline is, he, he answers with, you're the worst kind. You're high maintenance, but you think you're low maintenance. JK, JK. That's Billy Crystal. He's unserious. Actually, he actually starts twerking. That's <laughs> so fucking does. funny. <laughs> I'm, I'm this okay. brand of unserious with my friends. So after this interaction, they're still at the store. Dre invites Sid to an open mic. So they end up at Webster Hall watching this performer named Kavi, played by Most Def. The entire time I was watching this movie with all of my notes, I just referred to him as Most Def. He doesn't have a character name as far as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I had to go back and be like, wait, what's his name? Because I only know him as Most It Def. is Most Def. I mean, Most Def is a fucking bomb ass rapper. So he's up there. He's killing it. And they're watching him. Dre's getting excited. They do this very fun thing where they keep kind of flashing in different cuts between the crowd and between most deaf they do the side by side they love a side by side in this movie they love capturing multiple frames on the screen at the oh, same yes, time in this movie that. it's a thing i happen to hate but it's fun that they do it here yeah i think maybe it's just trying to communicate multiple things happening at the same time which i understand yeah or fun environment sometimes it feels a little music video-y it does that makes the sense the way they cut and stuff like that during this rap Kavi tells his origin story as a character right so which is like the origin of hip-hop really yes like hip-hop originated through storytelling mm -hmm. i mean it's not what we hear today obviously its original roots comes from storytelling and that's his style he says it in his big open mic night where everybody loves what he's saying and Kavi stands for chris anton vishan what a name and he's a capricorn breaking them off with the classic form and then he's gone. The crowd loves him. Crowd goes wild. Crowd goes wild. He's genuinely very good. Like, they're very excited. <laughs> so the direction here is so, like, funky and weird because it does, like, these, like, weird zoom-ins on Sanaa Lathan and Tate Diggs. And they're clearly, like, still acting. Like, they know what the fuck they're doing. But it's awkward because they're not doing anything, like, for the camera. It's just supposed to be them, like, vibing. And it's Enjoying weird. the concert. I don't yeah. like it. So... The performance ends. Dre and Sid go backstage. They're trying to find Kavi because Dre's like, I need to sign this guy. He's dope as hell. Mm. He basically gives him the elevator pitch. I work for Millennium Records, which is understood to be this huge record label. I want to sign you. You don't have representation yet. You're not on a label. I think you're dope. This is what I got into the business for, right? I love mm -hmm. your style. Kavi's like, bitch, fuck out of here. You guys are whack as hell. I don't need a big label. I don't like what you stand for. I don't like what you represent. My music is good enough for me. Mm -hmm. Respect the integrity. Kavi is supposed to embody underground, authentic, original comings of hip hop in this story. He kind of just leaves Dre hanging. Like, he's like, no, I'm good. No, you keep your card. He didn't even want his card. As he exits, Enter in Ren and Ten, 
the hip hop Dalmatians. Let's fucking go. <laughs> so let's let's give you let's break this down for you, baby. Assuming you have not watched this movie, Ren and Ten, the hip hop Dalmatians. One black man, one white man, both equally ridiculous as human beings. And they introduce themselves as Ren and Ten, the hip hop Dalmatians. They're both wearing furry, fuzzy, white coats. What you can assume to be like fur, right? White fur coat spotted with black like a Dalmatian. They're both wearing sunglasses inside. You know, they're representing the whole unity thing. The quote unquote, the whole unity (laughs) thing. Ooh, They're mocking the whole unity thing. They're capitalizing on the whole unity thing. It is for money. Yes. And it's giving gimmick from the jump. It's terrible, inauthentic. It's an act. It's a gimmick. So which makes it insulting. And they approach Dre with like a ton of familiarity. And Dre's like, dog, who the hell are y'all? And they're like, we're Ren and Ten. We just got signed to Millennium today. Can't wait to work with you. They say all of this in front of Kavi, who's like, see what the fuck I just said? I'm out of here. And so not and Sid is just looking upon this like, like, oh, oh my, my God, God, what is happening? I mean, and he looks like he's ready to throw up. Yes. To his credit. He's very he's unhappy. Very with caught decision. off guard. So the next shot that we get is Dre going into work steamed. Like this man is on fire. He's so angry and he's ready to argue with his boss about signing this dumbass group. He had no idea that they were signing them. He was totally caught off guard and his boss is none other than Wendell Pierce. God, that man has been in so many things. This man's in everything. He's in absolutely fucking everything. He's Meghan Markle's dad in Suits. Oh, my God. Which I just started rewatching. Oh, my God. Wow, you're one of those people on Netflix, huh? Okay, good to know. Um, I actually watched Suits when it first came out originally. Excuse so me. No. I'm sorry. I gave it its flowers when it came out. Nobody would listen to us. We're like, yo, you should watch Suits. We're like, uh, what? It's on USA? I what? know. USA was not that girl. <laughs> <laughs> we got to give USA more credit. Like, they got Suits, Mr. Robot. Um, that's it. No. <laughs> Dre goes to argue with Wendell Pierce and Wendell Pierce as this music industry record label executive basically is like, we're not interested in quote unquote real hip hop because that is not going to be mainstream enough for us. We are in this business to make money. And if we're signing all these indie artists, it's not for everybody. Nobody's going to listen to it. Red and 10, they're the next big thing. Gross. Sign me out of that existence, please. You know, they're like Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson. And if you don't jump (laughs) off the roof when someone says that to your face, oh, Dre sarcastically says they should do a cover of The Girl Is Mine if they're like Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson. Uh Uh-oh. And this guy takes that shit and runs with it. He's like, yes, let's call it The Ho Is Mine. (laughs) Oh, bitch. It is like, it's insulting even to the viewer. You're like, that Ho Is Mine? Okay. We were throwing around that word liberally in the 2000s. So Dre obviously is about to get married. And not only is he about to get married, he's about to marry a bougie ass woman. He's got money he needs to make. He's not really in a position where he can just up and quit his job. Yeah, no. And Simon literally throws that in his face. Like, listen, go marry your fine ass wife. Mm -hmm. Go on your really nice honeymoon and come back. You'll feel better. I promise. It'll be fine. Once all of these things are paid. Won't you feel so good? You'll understand why we're doing this. So he's super defeated. Selling out. He leaves. Where does he go? To Sydney's apartment, her gorgeous townhouse in Fort Greene. This incredible, oh my God, her apartment is amazing. (sighs) 
It really is. It's a brownstone, right? Yeah, I believe it's a brownstone, yeah. What do we learn as he arrives at Sydney's? Oh, it's the day of his bachelor party. So was he at work on the day of his bachelor party? His wedding, we find out, is the next day. So they're doing the whole bachelor party the night before the wedding. So you look at your highest level of shit as you're taking the most expensive (laughs) pictures of your life. I don't understand. So bachelor party, wedding the next day. He was at work. Is it a Friday? So he shows up at Sydney's apartment. Luckily, Sydney seems to just always fucking be there. Maybe she's the OG remote worker because this bitch is never at an office. She answers the door yeah, true. in what Paola called it a handkerchief. This bitch got a handkerchief on. And to be Girl. fair, if you're chilling at home by yourself, why put on a bra? Why put on a real shirt? Take a piece of cloth, tie it together, tie it up in the front. Maybe it's cute. But she wasn't going anywhere. Pero este hombre se aparece. You get what I'm saying? Like, you chilling at home, you good. But you about to go answer your put door. Put a robe on. Is it fuzzy and pink? Just throw it on. <laughs> Is it floor length? <laughs> Tube socks? <laughs> <laughs> There's boobies under there. There's boobies under there. <laughs> Yo, this bitch shows up at the door in a fucking scarf wrapped around her body. Girl, there's boobies under there. There are boobies under there. There's not a bra in sight. I mean, you know, nice nips, but I'm just saying. Dre has no reaction to this as he enters her home. He doesn't, though, which respect. Dre's like, I've seen the boobies. And not even I've seen the boobies. He's just kind of like, I've got too much stuff going on. He does. He feels like he's part of the problem. He feels like he's betraying his roots. Like he is hurting hip hop, not helping it. He's not making music. He's making deals. It's about money. He's a sellout. And I'm like, yeah, bitch. So are all of us out here paying rent. But he is in a position where he makes decisions, though. So I think that's where you change the dynamic of like, okay, am I a product in the capitalist system or am I one of the culprits in this capitalist system? So, you know, and Sydney, you know, she backs that up with, look, we all have to sell out a little bit to be able to excel in our careers. Like, that's how you survive the business. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we don't make the money we need to make to be able to pull up other people. To be influential. We need we need to be able to be at a certain position of power to be influential. And the way you get there is, unfortunately, you got to sell out a little bit. But he feels like he's more than selling out because, you know, he explains like half of them deals are shady. Yeah. Like he he understands that he's not following the dream that he had initially with integrity. It has evolved to just making money. He's down and out. So Sydney's got to comfort him. She gives him a nice big hug. And truly, I genuinely believe it starts as a friend hug. Come here. I know you're feeling upset. Come and give me a hug. I'm naked, basically from the chest up, but you should totally come here and give me a hug. They hug and it's nice. She kisses him on the nose. Intimate, but I'll take it. She kisses him again on the cheek. More intimate. I mm. won't take it. I don't want that from my friend. Y- you didn't need that second one. And then, I didn't mean to kiss you a second time. And then linger, <laughs> linger on the second and one. And then linger. Nah, she meant to linger. She's lingering. And they start making out. What's the first thing to come off? You mean this scarf? Let me let me just slide this off of you real quick. <sighs> and there were boobies under there. Erica Badu, love of my life, is playing in the background. These people are fully making out. Yeah, they are. Now she's half naked. And she's the first one to snap out of it. As soon as she felt the cold. On the nips. The cold on the nips. Yeah. Also, this movie is rated PG-13. There's no nudity, like, on screen. This is all happening with, like, her back to the camera. But, yeah, she feels the cold air on those nips. And she's like, oop, time to change my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, 
You're funny. They stop making out. She pulls back and she's just like, what the fuck are we doing? Like, this was a terrible idea. Like, you're you're my best friend. No. And she's like, are you still getting married? Is this what you mm-hmm. want? Because what are we doing here, my friend? As I love to say, mm-hmm. what are we doing? And he's like, yeah, of course I'm going to totally. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to get married. I love um, yeah, hey, Fulanita. Oh, uh, what's her Fulanita, name? Fulanita, Amon. Hey. Fulanita. <laughs> Perencejita. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very uh, Ross at the wedding uh, moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you say I do to Rachel, ee. So he's like, yeah, of course I'm going to do that. Anyway, I'm going to go to my bachelor party now. Everything's cool and fine. And Sydney's like, what the fuck? And I will see you at my wedding tomorrow. Friends, the wedding is the next fucking day. Like, this movie is wild. Beautiful location. It's very um cold. I would say compared to the rest of the movie, the colors in the wedding scene, it's like super blue, cool toned and gray. It is. It really is. It looks like a concrete churchy jungle as soon as they head over to the wedding scene and i'm like man this place looks depressing and sad oh i actually i love the way the place you're so funny (laughs) but yes in contrast to all the warm tones you see throughout the movie the warm tones that they're wearing the warm tones i feel like sydney's environment is always very warm And Reese's environment is very cool. Anywhere where Reese is, everything is like blues, whites, grays, and sterile. And sterile. Yes, modern and minimalist seeming, whereas Sydney spaces are like more historical. They're warmer. The colors are richer and a little bit darker. There's like a lot of warm light. So this church is like Reese's domain, right? Because she's about to marry this man. This place is like, it's looking real concrete. It's looking real Kim Kardashian's kitchen, okay? And <laughs> Sydney is at this wedding with her cousin, whose name is Francine. I haven't called her Francine once. She's Queen Latifah. Sydney's cousin, Queen Latifah, is with her at this wedding. And this woman is carrying on, okay? Because she cannot shut the fuck up for a second. And this is like a trope. I mean, not an actual trope. Something that you see in rom-coms and like movies and like Hallmark, the Hallmarkality. Like you see people having entire fucking conversations at incredibly inappropriate times and it always pisses Mm -hmm. me off it's always like big conversation (laughs) at the funeral big conversation at the wedding big conversation at graduation and you're just like shut the fuck i always put myself in the position of someone else who is seated near them just being like shut up god damn it this is not the time or place correct but you're supposed to be uncomfortable you're supposed to be like holy shit and it feels like at whatever volume they're speaking, they're either not doing a very good job of whispering or when they did like the audio editing on this later, they just upped their volume against the other volume happening in the church around them. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to seem very obnoxious. Everyone should be hearing what they're saying. Everybody should know about the makeout she had with Dre with her boobies out. I love that she clocks that shit like with a look. <laughs> All it took was a look and her cousin was like, girl, what happened? Mm-hmm. You kissed them, didn't you? Was their tongue a little bit? <laughs> Yo. I love their interaction. And like, it is genuinely very funny, but it is not the fucking time or place. So I think one of the reasons that Queen Latifah is being so obnoxious is because she wants Sydney to try and disrupt the wedding. She wants Sydney to have stopped that wedding before they got there. She wants Sydney to have said what she wants from the beginning and not let the wedding go on. Correct. But 
That's not the story we're telling. Finally, to maybe our sweet relief, just kidding, they keep fucking talking. The bride is coming down the aisle. They do the entire ceremony. Queen Latifah and Sid do not shut up for a goddamn second. They get through the entire wedding. Nobody objects. Nobody speaks now. They all hold their peace. Not really, though. Well, not really, truly. And as Dre and Reese turn and walk back down the aisle, Dre makes eye contact with Sid the shit her face does in that little slow-mo like zoom out is so creepy like she like half smiles and then just goes like i hate it dread immediate dread after this this terrible scene we get a little bit more voiceover we cut to sid in her office her secretary comes in and mentions that an artist they want to interview is releasing an album and is game for this interview but specifically requested sid to be the one to do it Turns out this artist is a former professional basketball player who's turned musician slash rapper. His name is Kelby, which is interesting. Kelby Dawson. Kelby Dawson? Kelby Dawson. Is that really? Yeah, I wish I was fucking with you. His name is Kelby Dawson. And Kelby specifically wants to take out Sid, like real, real bad. So now Nathan is hot as hell. I don't blame him for this, but that's a little weird. So he really wants to take out Sid and... Finally, she knows that he's going to be releasing an album. She's like, all right, fine. Fine, I'll do it. So she knows She knows it's a date. She knows the vibe. She tells her cousin. We cut to the next scene where it is our classic makeover scene, but not really because we don't get a fun makeover montage. Queen Latifah takes Sid to the salon and they have this entire conversation outside of said salon so she can catch a man, get her hair done, get a new dress, go on this date and stop using her massager from Brookstone as if female masturbation is something to be ashamed of. It's not. Or like, for some reason, sex toys and quote unquote massagers are specific only to single women. Which they're also not. Sid ostensibly gets her hair done, buys a new outfit, and we cut to Sid waiting for Kelby Dawson at a fancy red restaurant where everything is red. Sid's dress is red, the walls are red, the lights are red, everything's red. I feel like this is supposed to be her color. It's supposed to be her domain. It's love. Yes, she's supposed to be thriving. And she's so pretty. And thriving. And the dress is so pretty. And it's cleavy cleave. There are boobies all over this dress. They're hanging out. They're hanging out. Francine needed to make sure they were hanging out. She calls her to make sure that they're hanging out. She does. And she does a great job. (laughs) Kelby arrives shortly after Sid does. And he's a very handsome man played by Boris Kojo. And he's tall as hell. Looks like a professional basketball player for all intents and purposes. Goes to sit down with Sid. They kind of start having a light conversation. We as the viewer notice that who walks into this restaurant? Reese and Dre. Dre clocks that Sid is at this table looking incredibly pretty with her boobies all out everywhere in front of none other than Kelby Dawson. He goes up to say Mm -hmm. hi to her. Everything is incredibly awkward. He's like, I almost didn't recognize you. You look so great. Yeah, you like, look amazing. You look you look really great. <laughs> Get out of here. You look so good. I didn't even recognize you. I hate such a backwards ass compliment. I know. I hate men. Backhanded compliment. The exposition shows us that they have not seen each other since the honeymoon. She doesn't know how the honeymoon went. They haven't seen each other. Or not since the honeymoon, rather. They haven't seen each other since the wedding. So she doesn't know how the honeymoon went. She hasn't seen Reese. She hasn't seen Dre. They're there together. And... She is instantly uncomfortable. Dre is instantly uncomfortable. Who comes in behind Dre and Reese? Ren and Ten, the hip hop Dalmatians. 
<laughs> and they introduce they're like D-A-L-M-A shuns man shuns you can see the discomfort when these people show up and they start introducing themselves and Reese is very Reese is nice she she really throughout the movie she's fine she, you don't hate her she's fine but she fuck she takes this opportunity to say they're gonna be the shiznit no. And it's like, <laughs> she's endorsing this shit. Because what we learn is that Ren and Ten, after being signed to Millennium Records, big record label, Ren and Ten have also become her clients. So she's like either an entertainment lawyer or a manager of some kind. She works directly with artists. She has clients. I think she's an entertainment lawyer. Yeah. So she's the one really making the big bucks in this relationship. If, if Dre and Reese are bougie, it's because of Reese. It's not because of Dre. So they've also become her clients. So isn't that great? That doesn't feel like a conflict of interest anyway. And she's, she says, delivers iconic line. They're going to be the shiznit. And they leave just much, just for the mercy of the audience. This is where for me, I look at Reese in the same way that Cavi represents underground hip hop, like OG authentic hip hop. Reese is meant to personify mainstream music and mainstream pop culture. She's supposed to be the female version of Simon who's talking about, I need the MTV rotation. This needs to make us money. She's the personification of what Dre and even Sydney considered to be a sellout, a sellout of the culture. Because it's not for them. And this isn't a values statement. Like I don't judge people people for this because the society in which we live has imposed things upon us that become necessary for our survival financially financially correct so she's not there for the integrity she's there for the bills we're there for the money baby Mm -hmm. we're trying to make money dre Mm -hmm. was there for the integrity initially and now he's really struggling because he feels like he's at a crossroads right am i here for integrity am i here for money is there a way to get both and if there isn't a way to get both which is better for me like which do i prefer and he's starting to see himself kind of struggle with going the money route especially like the contempt he feels openly for ren and ten and we're seeing that play out between him and Reese where she doesn't have the same internal struggle and Sydney who acknowledges and can sympathize with Dre's internal struggle. Mm-hmm. So Dre, Reese, Ren and 10, the fearsome foursome leave the table. Sid is left at the table with Kelby and Kelby looks at her, you know, casually, whatever. And he's like, Oh, so that's your ex, right? Mm-hmm. He felt the vibes. And Sid's like, Oh my God, no, that's my boy. That's my boy. We grew up together. He's like my brother. Anytime a girl says he's like my brother, literally run in the other direction. (laughs) Go to the next state. Go to another country if you have a passport because they need to be locked in a room together and you need to just wait a few weeks, you know? And he's just like my brother. Shut up. He should be your friend. Your brother should be your brother. And no. There's some blurred lines there. God. And not the Robin Thicke kind. (laughs) He clocks this and he calls it out, which respect. Kelby seems pretty straightforward most of the time. I would say like 97% of the time, Kelby's like pretty upfront. I mean, if he keeps smiling at me, though, You're I don't a know. mess. We are going to have some blurred lines. So Kelby's face <laughs> after she's like, oh, no, he's my boy. His face is like, I why the fuck you lying? So we cut to the next scene. And Dre is in a recording studio with his boss, Wendell Pierce, producers and Ren and Ten who are in the booth recording. 
and they're recording the joke track that Dre pitched the hoe is mine and this was this was the last straw this was the camel that broke (laughs) (laughs) y'all this camel broke (laughs) (laughs) this is the camel that broke by the straw (laughs) (laughs) this sure is this camel broke by the straw i'm not i'm not editing that i'm not changing it um he rage quits and we know this because he takes off his tie because mm-hmm. you can't quit with a tie on. that's how you know shit's changing around here the tie came He's off changing all right dog we out so he gets in a taxi and is like take me to fort green i love how in movies you just shout neighborhoods at drivers and they're like Every, yeah they for just sure know. I don't need a street to take me to the neighborhood. I'll take you to the neighborhood. Yeah, I have an idea of where that is. So the driver, none other than Kavi, most deaf, the rapper. How serendipitous that he is coming upon Kavi as he's just stormed out of his record label job with the embarrassing Ren and Ten, the hip hop Dalmatians. Mm-hmm. Dre shares this with Kavi that he left Millennium, got frustrated. Kavi is kind of making fun of him because he's kind of like, aw. He's like, oh, word. Aww. I'm so sad. He calls him, aw, did the big hip hop grinch. Yeah, literally. Your, <laughs> he si- your heart the- grew three sizes that day. It's very, very, <laughs> most stuff is really funny. It went funny. to the hip hop Whoville. <laughs> he really does fuck with him and it hurts him and you know what he's so sensitive his feelings get mad hurt but i love that he says that shit and he said that shit to a man he's like nah i'm hurt i'm hurt drop me off right here and he said it just like that and he's like oh man i was just joking he's like nah i'm hurt like nah i'm out of here thanks and so he literally gets off on the street we don't even know if he's in brooklyn yet i think he was still in manhattan no, at he this decides point. to walk and decides the rest to, of the way yeah but it's still daytime okay And we're going to assume he takes the train to Brooklyn because next cut, he's walking down Sid Street in Fort Greene. Adorable little neighborhood. It looks like it's expensive now. Uh, yeah. (laughs) I don't have to tell you that. So there's this cute part where he's walking down the street and he catches a group of kids that look like they're either listening to music or they're either freestyling, but they're like, you know, they're bumping along to something. And he imagines Sid and himself as kids listening from the stoop. It's such a cute moment. Like he kind of reminiscing about them as kids, watching these other kids enjoying music, mm-hmm. him and his cute ass smile. All right. He ends up at Sydney's apartment because that's the only place he goes seemingly ever. Anytime he's distressed. Correct. Anytime he's stressed out, anytime he's confused about a choice he made or which directions he takes, he goes to say. I'm not in love with her. I just think she's beautiful and she's the first person I think about when I want to tell her good stuff and bad stuff. I'm not in love with her. She's just the only person I ever want to talk to when I'm feeling sad. Like... (laughs) (laughs) And while she was away, she lived in LA for a long time. I get the impression that she would get a phone call every day. Yeah, honestly. And get the play-by-play. That's how it seems. Oh, this happened today. What do you think? Now he gets to just show up at her spot in person. (laughs) Which is insane. I love the shot of him walking down the street. Because I just feel like you don't get that shot a lot unless you're, like, in Soho. I feel like you're getting this shot down a residential Brooklyn street. And I just love it. So 
he walks up to her apartment. Her door is wide open. And he's like, what the fuck? It's because two or three delivery men are delivering an absolute just metric fuck ton of roses to her apartment. Thousands of roses. And he walks in. He's like, what the hell? And she's like, can you believe it? They're from Kelby Dawson. We went on a date. Dre's like, what the fuck? (laughs) Oh, word. It must have been a good interview. The fire of jealousy ignites within him. Okay. And then he goes, you know what I would have done? I would have just written you a little note that says, will you go out with me with a yes box, a no box, and a maybe box? And then she's like, yeah, you've always been such a romantic. (laughs) Sarcastically, right? And we're all thinking the same thing, like, oh, wow, how romantic is this? Meanwhile, she says this sarcastically. While she's cutting the flowers and putting them into the vase that he picked out for her when they were at the decor place. Yeah. Yep. So... You know, even as she is entertaining attentions from another man, Dre is present in the back of her mind at all times. Mm-hmm. This Kelby sends her flowers. She cuts them and put them into a vase that Dre picked out for her. And the symbolism behind that, I thought, was pretty sweet. <laughs> or toxic. JK. Or toxic. <laughs> depending <laughs> on how you want to look at the situation. Dre asks her if she has a minute. Mm-hmm. And he obviously has a, a lot on his mind. As a viewer, you know, he just quit his job. And he's just like, can we take a walk? Like, I need to talk to you. And she's like, yeah, of course. Like, I'm available for you at all times. I don't have a personal life. So they walk to the park. They cut to this super cute scene. To me, this is one of the iconic scenes of brown sugar. Like, when you think brown sugar or when you look up brown sugar, this picture is going to mostly pop up, which is them sitting back to back, leaning on each other on a park bench. I do. I don't want to be a hater, but I do think it's weird that they're sitting back to back. <laughs> they're leaning on each other. Okay. When you say it like that, it sounds nice. And and that's kind of what they've been doing throughout their life is being each other's support. And they're kind of rapping a song. Like they're kind of going through like their favorite songs. The song that they're rapping is I used to love her. Her H dot E dot R. This is a song by Common. And in this song, he's talking about, like, a girl he met when he was 10 years old that he eventually falls in love with. Well, at the end of the song, he reveals that he's talking about hip-hop. So this is kind of, like, their story, but in reverse. Where throughout the whole movie, she's referencing hip-hop as a metaphor for Dre. This is a nice kind of tie-in for the movie where this is, like, their song. Mm Mm-hmm. Dre solidifies that by saying, oh, you know, this song reminds me of us. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, oh, really? And he's like, yeah, yeah, it reminds me of us. And it reminds me of that feeling I get when I listen to real hip hop. For mm-hmm. him, he says it was so real. It was like air. It's like, so poetic. Anyway, <laughs> you know, and then he goes on to say, like, he hasn't felt inspired or excited about music in a long time. Since they were kids, since these types of songs were out or whatever, Mm -hmm. or what he's doing in the industry, you know, then he starts kind of opening up and Sid realizes like, okay, now tell me what's really going on. Right. He tells her that he quit his job and that he wants to start his own record label. And she gets so happy for him. It gets him excited. How excited for him she gets. Like where I think he felt unsure. He knows it's a big risk. But her excitement got him to feel good about his decision. 
you know, when he's talking about like the financing, blah, blah, blah. And my girl takes a checkbook out from her jacket and just starts writing my man a check. Sydney writes this man a check. And I'm spelling that the British way. She is writing this man a check <laughs> for God knows how much money. C-H-E-Q-U-E. Like, I don't know. I'm going to say 10 grand. You don't know how much this check for, but it's enough for him to be able to start a record label. Which is insane. It's also like, Sydney, Sydney, where the fuck did you get this money? Oh, from like my fancy job. You also live in a brownstone in Brooklyn that we assume you own or you pay a hefty rent on because it's like a duplex. It's huge. Double XL paid for the relocation. Double XL was thriving. Thriving. They were, though, in the 2000s. Print media where? Okay. Early 2000s? Yes, they Yeah, were. 10 years later, Sydney was unfortunately laid off. But who knows how much this check is for, but it's enough for him to feel like, okay, this is figured out. We got this. She wholeheartedly believes in this decision that he's made for himself. So he's like, oh, my God, we got to go celebrate. But my girl's got a date with Kelby Dawson. Mm -hmm. Dre does not like this. He's like, "Uh uh-uh, you're canceling your date. We're going out. We have to celebrate. Which is wild. The wild like, no, to no, me no. that he's I'm more, like, like who is this Kelby he's new I'm more important you're take you're going out with me because he's like oh I'll call him we'll cancel your date I'm Bitch, calling if you don't you're, shut yeah, up you're canceling she's like uh-uh I'm out mm-hmm. and he's like oh no kissing on the first date no you know he's like all right so you're just gonna leave the money on the on the nightstand and bounce okay fine bye the way men are like he's not angry but he's jealous he feels some type of way about this and as she's walking away, over in voiceover, like you do throughout, anytime you, you kind of get a switch throughout this movie, you get this voiceover of her reciting, you know, and she goes, just when you thought you knew everything about hip hop, it finds ways to surprise you and reminds you why you fell in love. Yo, not for nothing, Sid is a sappy ass bitch. Okay, continue. She is very sappy. I love, I, I eat the shit up. I love it. <laughs> It's so, so funny because I feel like we're the reverse. Like, you're like, oh, I almost felt a tear in this moment. And I'm like bawling my eyes out. And then you're like, oh, this is like so cute and amazing. And I'm like, if they don't shut up. <laughs> if they don't shut the corny shit. ass up. <laughs> I just, you know, I think I love the metaphor. I love the double entendre and the shift that everything's taking, you know, and, and how she expresses that almost poetically. I do enjoy that. We cut to Sid and her going to her date. She's got her hair blown out. Mm-hmm. She got this scarf. Nadia, tell me about her her scarf. And Sid looks like a doña. And <laughs> those of you that don't speak Spanish maybe would, will say, Nadia, but what's a doña? What does that mean? A doña, consider your grandmother and consider her at any time no. that you've seen her. My girl is wearing a caftan like it's a muumuu. Her hair is blown out like a doña so she just, she looks like a granny that's all i'm not even i'm not trying to be an asshole zanali beautiful she looks like a granny in this scene whoever dressed her did her dirty so it turns out that kelby has rented out an entire restaurant for this evening for his date with sid and he's cooking the entire meal himself so dike dike the man knows how to woo i'm not saying it wouldn't work on me i think it absolutely would you walk into the empty restaurant And then, like, you're sitting near the kitchen, and it's just him and, like, a sous chef. So then we cut to Dre getting home to his ridiculously antiseptic loft apartment. 
This is such a big contrast from the energy you get from Sydney and her home. It's like you got white and concrete. And it's incredibly modern. It's got no soul. It looks like a gallery space. It's just clean, right angles, white, modern. Like the contrast between that and Sid's brownstone is like she's got this gorgeous crown molding. She's got a fireplace. Everything is like oranges, deep reds, wood tones. This like beautiful like window, bay window right in the front of her living room. It's an incredible fucking apartment that is so different. And think about it. In a historic neighborhood in Brooklyn, Mm -hmm. in a historic brownstone, Mm. pre-war architecture, Sid is supposed to represent for him history, soul, warmth, where Reese, any proximity to Reese, you get this cold, angular... Kim Kardashian kitchen. Yeah, streamlined, mainstream energy where it's it feels elevated sure but it also feels soulless as he walks into this loft apartment his hot hot wife is sitting on the couch reading in one of his shirts and no pants and it's like the opening to a porno for any other man (laughs) i think men love this shit like anytime you're supposed to see somebody as seductive in a movie they're wearing a men's shirt and nothing Wearing else. Wearing a men's shirt and no pants. Can I just say, oh if I tried to wear one of my husband's shirts, they get to be seductive, I'd pop the buttons off, all right? Because they're simply not meant to be on my body. Yeah, this doesn't work on a thick girl's. <laughs> like, one of my husband's shirt will simply just not button past the waist. It won't. <laughs> like, no, it won't. And then it's kind of like, I have to have underwear on because now I'll look weird. <laughs> now I'm Winnie the Pooing all over this place. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> We're not Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> like, this shit ain't good for no one. I'm dead. So she's out here, Winnie the Pooh. The shirt looks great on her. She's long and lithe and lean. She's on this couch. Also, like, am I a prude? Because I like having pants on in my home. And that could just be me. I don't want to be naked. What if there's a fire? Like, I live in an apartment. <laughs> what if there's a fire? Like, if I was in, in a house house, maybe with blackout curtains but like no i live in an apartment too many people around anyway dre tells her you know they greet each other it's fine he you can tell he's quite nervous he tells her he's quit his job and that he's decided to start his own record label the movie wants you to view her reaction as not supportive the movie wants you to see her as an antagonist in this moment she's the anti-sydney and as a person who's married, here's something I'll say. If I was home, Winnie the Poohin, in a nice shirt, no pants on my couch, and my husband arrived after a long day and goes, hey, babe, I quit my job today. Guess what I'm also going to do? Spend a bunch of money doing something else. I, too, would be incredibly angry. Who's paying for the health insurance? It, was it him? Is it her? Do they own? Is there a mortgage? What about the rent? How are you going to pay your bills? Like, I would be steamed. And I'm annoyed that they're like, Sydney's so cool and supportive and great. That's how women should be. No, dog. This is a business. We are business partners. A hundred percent. Sydney doesn't live with him. She doesn't have to live with him. She's not splitting bills with him. She's not. So she can be more supportive. But obviously, Reese is seeing it as like, okay, well, you're supposed to tell me when we're going to change the plan. Yep. You're planning with your partner. You're planning for a future life. And yeah, this is definitely a conversation and a decision you make together. But by this conversation, 
you also get the impression that either one, he's never been 100% open with her about how he feels on his job. Right. Or two, he has and she's discarded it. Either way. So her reaction is, I think, how any partner would react in, in a situation where you're sharing a life. But I think what it indicates is they don't have the same trust level. They don't have the same open communication or she doesn't know him as well. And I think one of the things you learn early on in the movie is, oh, you've only known this chick six months. Yes, you know him now, but you don't know where he came from. You don't know how he got to be the person who he is now and what motivates him. To her, she's this money guy. That's what's motivated him now that she knows him. But that's not what motivated him early on. And I also think they make it very obvious especially like with her bridal shower and stuff that Reese is the one holding the purse. She's the one Uh, making more money. So like, it also means that if he's not working, the financial strain on her is bigger. He won't be pulling his weight. And I mean, in any relationship that would cause, regardless of your gender, if both partners are working and then suddenly one is not like, I feel like that would cause a ton of contention as they continue their conversation. Reese gets more pissed when Dre mentions that Sid has decided to be an investor because Reese is like, oh, great. So you told Sid. So you left work. You didn't call me. You didn't tell me. You called Sid. And instead of telling me what the fuck was going on, she's going to invest in your fucking record label. Great. Great. I'm so glad you have her. You guys are amazing together. And again, not for nothing. I, too, would be pissed. She's in the right to feel how she feels in this scene for sure and he was in the wrong to not have at least called her like hey this just happened i'll talk to you when i get home yeah to not have that communication throughout the day i mean i don't i couldn't even imagine making a decision like that and then just waiting till i see you tonight you see who pulls him you see who has the bigger pull on him because he didn't even think of calling his wife he got home and he was like oh shit Yeah, anyway, I quit my job today. Like, after this very uncomfortable scene between Dre and Reese, we cut to Sid and Kelby, presumably still on their date, walking along the water, looks like they're in Brooklyn, and they're mid-conversation, and he's basically like, wow, I crushed this date. I'm killing it. She's like, oh, you think you're going to get some? Right. He's like, "Mm, yeah, I think I might. (laughs) And you know what? He's right. So she's basically like clowning him for his ball playing, right? Because he's a professional basketball player who has also decided to have a music career. Because she's like, oh, you think you're going to get some? And he's like, yeah, I think I got a pretty good shot. And then she pretty much says like, actually, not really. (laughs) Based on the stats of this game, you weak ass bitch. No, she doesn't say that. I say that. And he kisses her and it's fine. And then he says, how was that shot? And she says, nothing but net. (laughs) (laughs) this is the worst line destroy the movie me my life you want to talk about the hallmarkality the hallmarkification (laughs) (laughs) nothing but net if you guys don't go and jump in the river i'm so angry on this chilly evening i'm so mad at this so we cut to dre 
um, trying to figure out where I never call him by his name. I just, I literally, all of my notes just say most deaf. Dre is trying to figure out where Kavi, the, the rapper he wants to sign, where he works. So he's calling cab companies. He doesn't really remember like the cab that he was in. He doesn't have the license plate number or anything. And he's not finding him. He decides to call Sid to ask about her date. She's making coffee for Kelby in her home. And she's like, oh, we're making coffee. I asked him back to my place. And Dre's like, what? He's at your place? You guys are going to have coffee? And she's like, yeah. And then we're probably going to have sex. (laughs) You idiot. (laughs) I love when she's like, Dre, he cooked for me. And he's like, did you see him cook for you? She's like, no, not really. But he shut the restaurant down and he cooked for me. And he said, he ain't cooked for you. He's running game. He's trying to tap that. He's like whisper screaming (laughs) with like an open bottle of like whiskey next to him or something. Meanwhile, Reese is over in the background. Resentful AF. And no, sure enough. She's like, well, his game worked. We gon' fuck. They don't say that because this is a PG-13 movie. Takes the coffee over to the sofa where Kelby's waiting. And my man holds this coffee like it's a hot chocolate. If you pay attention to this scene. (laughs) He's got his hands wrapped around it like it's his only source of warmth. Sit there awkwardly for about 3.5 seconds. And then they're like, all right, we want to have sex now? Okay. Cut to the next scene. Dre is walking onto like a yellow cab parking lot where he has successfully located the workplace of most deaf. In order to get most Anyway, most deaf. Cavi in the cabbie. And he finds him, goes up to him. You know, they, they have a little chit chat. And he's kind of like, yo, listen, I quit my job. I'm starting my own label. Like, I want to sign you. I think you're really cool. In order to get most deaf to agree, he has Dre as like, I don't know, initiation, rite of passage, clean the back of his cab. Dre, the way he looks at him like, uh, are you okay, well, I'm going to set this right here. And when you're done, I'll be back. Yeah. And he <laughs> was like, Def's like, no. You're going to do it. Thanks. Dre's like, oh, why? You're not gully? And Dre's like, I'm gully. I'm gully. Because he's all pressed up. He's got, I mean, he's more casual for sure, but he's got like a nice turtleneck and this nice jacket. Oh, yeah. In his nice clothes, he's like, no, no, no. I'm gully. I'm gully. Gully means from the streets, from the gutters. You're tough for those who need a translation. Me. Because I was like, what the fuck is gully? After this back and forth, we decide Dre's gully. (laughs) You're an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) We cut to the next scene where Sid and Reese happen to be at the same boxing gym getting a workout in. Sid spots Reese flirting with one of the instructors. Okay. We don't know if that comes back later, but it feels like it will. Then they get paired together to spar. And it is just such a great opportunity to passive aggressively fight. Also, she cannot fight. Neither of them can. I mean, Reese has a bit more, like... She gully? (laughs) She's got a (laughs) bit more force behind her punch. Sonialathan's character cannot fight. Also, the way Sonialathan's guard is horrible. It's like you're trying to get your chest punched the way you're standing. God. (laughs) Okay. Anyway... It ends up becoming a confrontation between the two of them about how Dre and Sid are too close and that Reese is really uncomfortable with it. Honestly, this is pretty fair. But at the same time, if she and Dre don't have clear communication and boundaries about what their relationships look like after they get married, that's not really Sid's fault. 
Reese accuses mm. Sid of being in love with him. She basically says, all the things he's keeping to himself, I have to beg him to tell me. You already know. The default setting is him telling you everything. She keeps saying, you know, with his record label thing, with this project he's doing, with his record label thing, this, rightfully so, makes Sid upset. Like, why do you keep calling it a record label thing? Why do you keep calling it his project? Like, it's more than a project. It's more than a thing to him. After they get a little too deep, after the spar gets a little too real, Reese storms off and vamooses out of this gym, leaving Sid super confused not knowing what to do about about her uh her fucking raging hard on for dre it was an awkward interaction in the middle of the gym everybody's seen what's happening yeah so she kind of just leaves her standing there by herself after this confrontation if you think i'm trying to pay money to go to a boxing class and some girls there so i'm gonna waste the money for the class and go home no she and i will simply fight yeah reese don't care she got she got that money she got it After this scene, we cut to a montage. This movie is fast paced, okay? Like, I feel like it is constantly a new scene, a new situation, flashing back and forth between characters. Yeah, things are happening pretty quickly. For a movie that's around 100 minutes, like, there is stuff. We cut to a montage set under a performance by Kavi, also known as Most Deaf, if you're my notes, <laughs> where he's rapping, like, honestly, like a really dope song. He's, the actual name of the song is Brown Sugar. Brown Sugar. Look at that. We see Sid during this montage dating Kelby. They're getting together more intimately. He is in her apartment while she's doing work. She's got a ponytail. That's how you know she trusts him. He cooks for her for real. He cooks for her for Rizzy in her apartment. For Rizzy? For Rizzy. (laughs) We We see Reese's relationship with Dre begin to fracture. So as Sid's building up a new relationship, Dre's relationship is falling apart. We see proper autumn in a shot of Kelby and Sid at the park. We cut to a New Year's Eve party, bitch. (laughs) Dre says it's the last meal of the year. We're assuming that this is happening at Sid's house. Everyone is there. It is at Sid's house. Thank you. Everyone is there, including Dre, Reese, and Kelby. This party is at Sid's house. Why the fuck is Dre giving a toast? His weird ass. So Dre gives a toast commemorating the year. He got married. He quit his job. He started his own record label. My man is in his cups, okay? He has been (laughs) drinking. He thanks everyone for their support during this difficult, difficult time, but specifically and especially his best friend, Sid. You are the perfect verse to a tight beat. So Reese is mad, mad after this display. If you watch her face in this scene, Ooh, she mad. She crunches her face. There's eye rolls. Then you see them bickering in the background. You don't know what they're saying. I wish I could lip read so I can see what they're pretending to say. After Dre's toast, Kelby decides... You know what? Dre made a speech and this isn't his house. I should try doing that too. I need a power move. He pulls out a fucking engagement ring and proposes to Sid at her own New Year's Eve party right in front of my salad. He wants to commemorate the year by asking the woman he loves to marry him. Mess. She says yes. They've also been together. Three months. It couldn't have been more than three months and he's already proposing to her. Yeah. So the, it feels and she's just saying, as quickly as this movie's moving, their relationship's moving. And she said yes, and no one seems to think that's weird except Dre. So he proposes, and she says yes, right? As she says yes, 
this movie loves a freeze frame. <laughs> it does, she, and we need to talk about it. It really continue. does. As she says yes, we get this very slowed down frame of her accepting this proposal. And then in voiceover, she says, you know, it's like the difference between saying I love you and I'm in love with you. It so much reminds me of that scene in The Notebook where Lon proposes to Allie at the party. She accepts and the narrator says, Allie said yes with all of her heart, but couldn't understand why at that very moment Noah's face came to mind. Can I just say something about The Notebook really quick? Justice for Lon Hammond, okay? Because the way my girl played James Marsden who was Ooh, rich with that and smile? nice? Scram. I don't know how. Wow, Scram. people really are stupid. And the notebook <laughs> is how you know that. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm not sure. So, continue. It reminded me of that scene so much, but like in the hip hop way. Yeah. Dre does not like this. Now you're at this party and you're kind of seeing a couple different things happening at the same time. First, obviously, you see the proposal. And the happy couple's reaction, you see Dre and his wife's reaction. As the movie's moving around the party, you start seeing Kelby interacting with Cavi. You start seeing Cavi interacting with Queen Latifah, most definitely Queen Latifah. <laughs> <laughs> you see Cavi interacting with Francine. He's kind of got a little bit of a crush on her. Cavi goes to Dre and it's like, hey, listen, what's up with home, girl? Like, there's this hilarious scene where Kelby goes up to Cavi and is like, yo, you know, I'm trying to put out this album. And, you know, people just don't respect ballplayers who want to rap. <laughs> Gee, I wonder why. Cavi's like, yeah, yeah, you know, it's kind of when a rapper wants to play ball. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> Most stuff is hilarious. Oh, he's so fucking funny. I just saw him in the Italian job. Oh, shit. He is so funny. So while all of this is going on in the party, you see Dre comes up to Sydney. He wants to have like a heart to heart at this party now. Yeah. He's had a couple of drinks. She's trying to entertain. He's trying to pull her aside. Like, what are you doing? Are you sure? Like, you've only known this guy for so long. And she's like, I, I know, know you're, you're not, not talking. talking. <laughs> I Bitch. know you're not talking. You fuck. And so throughout these scenes, there was this directorial choice to do like these very, very, it's a very choppy edit, which I know you weren't a big fan of, Naja. I fucking hated it. Yeah, I wasn't a big fan of it. As the viewer, it's meant to be disorienting because you're meant yeah, to be viewing the party from the perspective of a participant. So it's kind of like, oh, everybody's drunk. Everybody's going to start losing a little bit of time. Everybody's going to start mm -hmm. acting up mm -hmm. a little bit. It's sure. But they do this weird, almost like hazy Windows 95 hazy edit. <laughs> and then it like will do a chop where it feels like they combined different takes of the same scene. You see them interpret it almost one way and then you see them interpret it again a slightly different way and then continue the scene. And then you mm -hmm. see them do one reaction and you see them do the same reaction again, but from a different angle. And now they're right because it would be the same scene and yes. it's just chopped up. It's overlapping in parts. Like, I found it super duper frustrating. As the viewer, I think it's meant to make you feel a bit more, a bit, 
maybe not disoriented, but definitely meant to make you feel like, oh, we're rushing this. Yeah. Because I think that's what everyone's doing. It's almost like everything feels rash and rushed. And I feel like at this party, it's all kind of culminating, Mm -hmm. right? Like all this, there's resentment from Reese's side. There's resentment from Kelby's side of his friendship with Dre. There's resentment from Sydney's side because Dre is coming at her, coming at her sideways about her decision to accept Kelby's proposal, even after he did something very similar early on in the movie. I think there's a lot of that culminating at this party, and these cuts definitely make you feel that in a visceral way, I guess. Yeah. Maybe. The cuts can be like a teeny tiny bit. It's not that they're rapid rapid, but they can be like a little nauseating almost because the camera's kind of like does a little wiggling. So Dre's pissed at everyone. He's too drunk. He's acting weird. Sid and Dre, now that he's got her ensnared into a drunken conversation, are basically going back and forth, accusing the other of being jealous, right? It's like, Dre, you're jealous of Kelby. Like, we're not the ones getting married. He and I are going to be the ones getting married. You're married. Did you forget? You're married. And then he's like, you're jealous of Reese. And and it, it gets very, like, pot calling kettle black situation. She's like, I want to be able to have a bridal shower with cucumber sandwiches with the cross cut off. And Dre's like, what? What? I'm a man who's drunk. And while they're having this conversation, this woman is aggressively grabbing some cookies and throwing them into a fucking tray. Dog, can I can I say what my note is about this part? This is my note verbatim. What the fuck is Sanaa Lathan putting on that cooking sheet? Chicken nuggets, raw potatoes. What the fuck is happening in this kitchen? Because she's just putting her hand in a bag of something frozen and literally throwing it on the cooking sheet. And you're like, girl, why? What did the food do? You know, she saves it by saying, I got a man who's fine, intelligent, and successful and gives it to me on a very regular basis. And that shit is the bomb. Kill me. (laughs) That line and fucking nothing but net. Put them in the same basket. Put the basket in the ocean. This is the line that breaks the ice between both of them because after she said that, she realized how ridiculous she sounds and they both start cracking up. Yes. And they're kind of like, look, I'm sorry. You know, she's like, listen, I just want you to be happy for me. He's like, I am happy for you. Congratulations. And they hug it out. While this interaction is going on, Kelby and Reese are on the other side of the house looking at this interaction and they're like, they're just good friends. <laughs> like Kelby looks at Reese and he's like, good friends, Ooh. huh? And Reese is hmm. like, yeah, good friends. No one's comfortable. No one's happy. No one's ever been comfortable. No one's ever been happy. Everybody knows what the fuck is going on here. And Am- what is there's this? Only two, there's only two people in denial. We cut after this party scene to a professional basketball team practice at this massive, fancy like basketball court where Sid is in the seats They're at the Westchester County Center. Thank you, Jesus. Wherever that is. In Westchester County, I would assume. That would make sense. (laughs) (laughs) Jail. We're sending the clown, not even the horny kind. We're just sending her to regular jail. (laughs) So Sid is in the seats by herself with a little binder in her lap. She's watching Kelby practice. He is so fucking tall. And this binder is a very Monica Geller from Friends wedding binder, right? Like, she has put together some ideas. She needs to decide on the invitations. She wants Kelby to look at things with her. And Kelby, like a man, 
is negatively helpful. He gets off the court. The practice is over. He comes over to Sid, gives her a kiss. And she's like, hey, I wanted to flash you some of these invites, like some invite ideas so we can choose and make a final decision. And he's like, I trust you. Bitch, that's not what the fuck she asked. She asked for Mm -mm. some fucking help. She doesn't want to know if you trust her. Just pick one. I I like whatever you like. Throw the men away. (laughs) Throw the men away. Okay? And she's this annoys her. Not as much as it has annoyed me, but it annoys her significantly. She just wants a little bit of help, a little validation. She's also feeling self-conscious about her writing. Throughout the course of this movie, she has been in the process of writing a book, Mm -hmm. you know, about her love of hip-hop. She asked Kelby, like, hey, you know, did you like that column I wrote last month? And you can tell he's lying because we're watching a movie. And he's he's like, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, totally. For sure. It's great. She's like, which was your favorite part? What part, like, spoke to you? (laughs) He's like, uh. And then she's like, you didn't read it. I read the one you wrote about me, though. And that one was great. And she's like, what? So now you're not supposed to like Kelby. I know. Now you're supposed to realize Kelby is selfish and self-centered and isn't a fan of Sid, doesn't support her in the way that she needs. Correct. So we cut to Sid sitting in a recording studio with Dre and Kavi, Mostef. Dre has swapped phones with Reese. And this is something they do throughout throughout the the movie. From the beginning of the movie, every, you know, be like, oh, shit, I took your phone today. Can you imagine? No. Today? No. You wouldn't even make it out the door. No. Too many apps. I've got too many DMs with my friends simmering on Instagram. (laughs) There is not, no way anyone's making it out the door with somebody else's phone. No. Or that you would just let it ride. Like, you realize it in the middle of the day, oh, no, and I'm going to just see you later. Yeah, I don't think that's happening. No. I guess like 2001, 2002, like we're not really, that's like, Our phones are just for phone calls. Your whole life is not on your phone like it is today. So he picks up his phone and he's like, oh shit, I have Reese's phone today because they have the exact same model of phone. He opens it up because it was ringing or buzzing and he receives a text from a man named Richard that is confirming dinner plans for that evening. Drape. And this is something that bothers me. So Dre, he goes into a jealous frenzy. He cuts the recording session short. He gets Kavi to get the cab and drive them to this restaurant where Reese is meant to be. Sid happens she to happens be there to with pop him. into the studio. He gets the three of them, corrals all of them into the cab and is like, we're going to go to wherever it is that she's having this dinner date. So Reese is sitting at dinner with the trainer from the boxing she is gym. snuggled up. And the titties are out. To this guy. She can't backtrack. In the moment that he walks into the restaurant, she is snuggled up to this guy. If you were sitting opposite, maybe you could be like, oh, this is my colleague. It's a meeting. No, 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 no. She did not stand the chance. And Dre approaches the table. And Dre, not for nothing, is already looking crazy. Like, my man is in a hoodie. Like, he, they're at a fancy restaurant. Like, he shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. And Sanal Lathan said... She is just standing behind him looking absolutely fucking ashamed. And Dre goes up to the table and he's like, she's you. She's you with the pride girl. Yes. Imagine having pride. I mean, none of these movies would exist. So Dre goes up to the table. Hey, Reese, how's it going? What are you getting for dinner? This scene is chaotic. It's so chaotic. And it's, it's, I love it. I hate it. The cringe of this scene makes me want to die. Does it really? I fucking find it hilarious because I love that she exposes herself. 
and he gets to see her expose herself, she literally cannot say a thing. (laughs) Where he gets unhinged is where he orders a bottle of the most expensive champagne. And then he says, you know, because we're going to celebrate. What are we celebrating? My divorce. (laughs) (laughs) It sends me every time. It's so unhinged. And then Sid just grabs him and is like, all right, we got it. We're out. We're out of here. You you did what you came here to do. We're out. If you ask me, Sid, let that shit go on for too long. Okay. She should have ended it sooner. We needed the my divorce line. And like, she's dressed and he's like, oh, you wearing that dress? I like, look at you. Look at them boobs. Good for you, girl. It's so messy. He makes a comment about her engagement ring and how he's still paying it off. Reese, under her breath, is like, I bought my engagement ring. Ooh. Ooh, yeah, messy. He asks for the man's name. His name is Richard Lawson. He decides to make fun of the guy named Richard Lawson. It's incredibly chaotic, this scene. And the gist is just he has found Reese cheating on him actively. He's pissed about it, of course, and he's decided that their relationship is over. He leaves. Sid grabs him by la oreja. Like, lo coge de la oreja and drags him out of the restaurant. As he deserves. <laughs> like a little boy in Catholic school. They leave the restaurant and they end up at Sid's home. Because yeah, they go back to Sid's place. He's struggling. He needs a shoulder to lean on. She's going to be a friend. Okay. I mean, I'm sure he doesn't want to go to his apartment. For sure. For sure. So one, one little factoid that we learn at this part. They're fucking 29 years old. They're not even 30. 30. They're not even 30. He's an executive at a record label. She's an editor for a major magazine. They've done all of this before they're even 30. Because while they're having a discussion, they're like, you know, by the time we're 30, bitch. As they're at Sid's house, they talk about one of the old columns that she wrote about some artist. So he brings up the column. He has read all of her articles, all of her columns, and he can quote them. And that he's so excited for her to release her book because he's so proud of her. And this all just mm-hmm. kind of like comes out in this big sentimental rush. He quotes something that she wrote. And then she's like, that was my first published article. So years ago, how do you remember that? And he's like, of course I remember it. I can't wait for your book. I'm so proud of you. He said he would go every Wednesday to buy the LA Times. hmm and go read it at the park. It would make him feel closer to her. <laughs> In this scene, when they're sitting on the couch, he's talking about her writing, and she gets a little uncomfortable at the praise, and she gets up to put some books away. On the coffee table is the vase that he picked out for her at the shop. Anytime they're together at her home, this vase is in the shop. And something that the shopkeeper says in the beginning of the movie when they saw it is like, oh, you know, couples love that vase. It's the perfect, it's the perfect blend of masculine and feminine. So they're the perfect blend. Oh, they're the perfect blend. <laughs> Things get fucking weird. She, yeah, she gets up. She puts some books away. He's glad he found out about Reese. Yes. And he says, I always knew deep down that she wasn't the right one. And Sydney's like, when did you know? And he's like, you know, well, something happened the, the night, night before, before my, my wedding. wedding. Yep. And we all know what happened the night before the wedding. That was handkerchief night. Mm. He gets up, Deke to help her put the books away. Mess. And now they're all up close up against this bookshelf. And they start making out because, hello, what else do you do on the night when you find out your wife is cheating on you? 
mess you make out with your best friend absolute mess so he goes on to continue what started the night before his wedding to continue it on the night he knows he's getting a divorce so it's a real bookend right the first bookend being right before the wedding the second bookend being right after his wedding kind of like parentheses around this relationship that he shouldn't have had right because reese wasn't right for him and there's sydney so they end up having sex it's a very when harry met sally moment where it's like this like post nut clarity (laughs) 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 and yeah it was just there was just so much tension except it's gender flipped the person with post nut clarity is sid it's not dre dre's down for this shit what do we see in this room y'all sid has satin sheets what the fuck it's better for your hair that's what it couldn't just be the pillowcase it has to be the whole set it seems like maybe the sex was bad question mark or they're both being incredibly like self-conscious about the sex like i don't really understand how that goes they make too many jokes about the sex for one to believe that it was good no so they make it pretty clear that it didn't go on for very long (laughs) sorry the first thing he says like so when the post nut clarity brings a comment that says he's like you know that usually doesn't happen like usually i'm like the energizer bunny i just keep going and going and (laughs) and then that's when she gets up and she's like we should have never done this like this is a mistake like she's getting ready to go meet her fiance at a show she's like what did we just do why did we do it like we should have never done that this was a mistake Mm mm-hmm one thing I do appreciate, though, is that they feel that way and they're putting it out there right now, today. This was a mistake. We should have never done this. He doesn't feel that way. Dre's like, what the fuck are what you talking you about? A mistake. This was the best and really cool. <laughs> and then, yeah, he's, he loves that this happened. Yeah. She's like, listen, I loved what happened, too. It was the most fulfilling five minutes of my entire life absolutely brutal because you can't even tell if she's being genuine or if she's just roasting the shit out of this man i think they're past like roasting each other she's being genuine i don't think she's got a like pussyfoot around him he's just like i should have used some ginseng i don't know what ginseng does but apparently uh he needed it he was just very excited at everything that was happening And she stops him and she's like, I'm getting married. You're still married. And we just got busy. (laughs) Absolutely fucking not. (laughs) Nope. Top three. That's our triple crown of uh, fucking cringy lines. Sid panics and attempts to leave her own home. (laughs) Because she is like, I need to get the fuck out of here. She starts getting dressed and... Dre stops her and he's like, yo, why are you talking like that? Why does it have to be all or nothing? And that is the new, I'm not saying it means nothing. I just want to know why it has to mean everything. It's giving me Harry at the wedding because, but it's the same sentiment. Yeah. Why does it have to be all or nothing? Yeah. Okay, this happened. Let's embrace that it's happened and let's, let's. We can still be friends. We can still have our relationship and maybe let's give this a try. To her, she's like, we fucked it up. We ruined our relationship already. Mm-hmm. We did the thing you're not supposed to do. And he's like, well, why does it have to be detrimental? It doesn't. Let, let's see where this goes. He's, he's more like, let's explore this. Right. And she's just like, it'll be different forever. And I think also the same sentiment that Sally has that she doesn't necessarily express in When Harry Met Sally, which is like, 
if we go on with this relationship and it doesn't work out, we don't get a friendship again after this. And that will ruin me. Like that will break my fucking heart. Sally doesn't ever really say that, but Sid does say that. Yeah. Sid definitely expresses that earlier on in the movie where she's like, you know, you just can't ever go back from that. Um, the sex part will always the get sex in the part way. Just always gets in the way. <laughs> <laughs> so Sid leaves. I mean, she is in a tizzy, right? And she gets dressed. She leaves her own home. So Sid goes to meet Kelby and pretty much resolves not to tell him what has happened. And after she leaves, we see Dre checking into a hotel room and we assume that it is that same night. He's wearing the same outfit. So it's a hoodie, like sweatpants or a pair of jeans. Like he's looking incredibly dressed down compared to how we were used to seeing him at the start of the movie, whether that was because of his job or because of Reese. His wardrobe has gotten significantly more casual. And I think it also just reflects that he's feeling a little bit lost, that he's just finding, I think, his rhythm and his personality again, when before it was easy to be record label guy wearing a suit. And now it's like, am I guy in hoodie? Is that is that me now? Like, who am I? We cut to Dre after this uh, hotel check-in scene at some kind of a buzzy office sitting on a couch with Kavi. You know, they're going back and forth in conversation and Kavi calls Dre a punk for not sealing the deal with Sydney before she got engaged. Because he's like, you are clearly so into this woman and you haven't done anything about it. And like, that's so embarrassing for you. Dre's like, you're a punk because you're not even talking to Francine, also known as Queen Latifah. And you're out here just like chickening out every time you try to talk to her. Kavi responds by saying, quote, I'm not the Humphrey Bogart in this situation. I'm the side character. I'm Peter Lorre. End quote. Because we love a Casablanca reference, okay? We love a Casablanca reference. If, if there's anything you can take to the bank about this podcast, it is going <laughs> to reference Casablanca. It's going to reference Pride and Prejudice. We're going to get both. Yo, I'm pretty sure most movies we've covered either reference Casablanca or Pride and Prejudice. Wow. It's like we're consistent. So, you know, Kavi keeps talking. You know, he's kind of like going through the end of Casablanca, he's like, are you going to end up like Humphrey Bogart? Are you going to be walking with some other dude through the fog after you send your woman away to be with some other man? Come on, man. A dude through the fog? A dude? Really? You don't know where you're going? Just you and some dude? A smattering of homophobia. Okay. It's the early 2000s. But what I love that Dre does here is he leans into this. And, like, starts touching his leg. Like, come on, man. He come touches on. his leg and he's like, don't fight it. Don't fight it. It's me and you. It's, it's me and you. And Kavi literally gets up, moves to another couch, and goes, I don't know him. I'm not with him. So it turns out, you know, a few people move around. We notice on the wall behind them the huge logo for Hot 97, radio station headquarters. For those of you who are not in the know, Hot 97 is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, or especially early 2000s, Rap in the early 2000s, right before Power 105 hit. Yes. Hot 97 was the hip hop and R&B station. Yes. If it's the early 2000s and your shit is getting played on Hot 97, it's millions of people that are hearing it. Right. So Mm. Hot 97 also had some of the most prominent radio hosts in the game, like with the best credentials, with the most recognition that people would tune in specifically to listen to their show. So we realize that they've been sitting there waiting for this meeting, big Hot 97 important meeting, to meet with some exec or some like producer of some kind named Trish. 
Time passes. We know this because everyone else who's been waiting around near these couches in this waiting room is gone until it's just the two of them. He gets called in. Dre walks into the office. Trish is actively and very rudely on the phone. So Trish is fully not paying attention to our man Dre. And he's trying to drop Kavi's demo into her rotation so that she can listen to it and decide to play one of his tracks on the air. Dre's label is named Brown Sugar Records. He leaves the demo. Trish dismisses him without even breaking her phone call. And he is super defeated. He walks out of there. We cut to Dre's hotel room. Sid just walks in pissed because his demo CD has made its way to her office, the editor-in-chief of XXL Magazine. And she thinks he dropped it on purpose and feels that it is a conflict of interest for her to be reviewing his music when she is an investor in his label. She Mm -hmm. passed the review off to another colleague who didn't give it a favorable review. Dre is like, you should have been the one to review it. Why are you passing it to somebody else? It's you think it's cool. You should be boosting it. And she's like, no, that doesn't have any integrity to it. I'm not going to do that. It's incredibly conflict of interest flavored. They're both using hip hop as an allegory for their relationship. And I wrote Dre is doing like a lot of whispering. And I hate that. (laughs) He gets up in Sid's space and is almost trying to be seductive, right? Is doing like a little whisper seducing. Like he's trying to put her off her game purposely. It starts off because he's almost confronting her for not backing up the record. Yes. Where he's kind of like, you're the first person to talk about like hip hop losing its way. You have an opportunity to influence this and you're not taking it to him. Like she copped out like she's just she passed it off to somebody else. Obviously, her reasons are valid. A hundred percent. Yeah. He's almost like, why aren't you defending this? okay, you pass it off to this guy. You got to tell this guy to give it a a favorable review. Otherwise, it's not going to be pushed through. That's how, again, the hip-hop combo starts. Like, you're the one always talking about hip-hop losing its way. You have influence to be able to push this through, and you're not doing that. Right. And then she's kind of like, oh, well, things change. And he's like, well, we have to look back. And so through this conversation, they're kind of also talking about their relationship in a way Sid is like are we still talking about hip-hop of course we're fucking not (laughs) we've been not talking about hip-hop catch the fuck up from the beginning and then that's where he does the whispery thing (laughs) yeah bro and I hate this shit it feels like he's trying to distract her and like be seductive and it serves two purposes for him right because if he's able to convince her to do the review obviously that's good for his label Also, if he's able to seduce her, that works to his end of wanting her to be his partner or like wanting to have like a sexual relationship with her. It doesn't work. It's frustrating. And she snaps out of it. And she's like, I don't want to be part of this. Like, I'm done. Don't ask me to do this again. Leaves the hotel room. So in what he's trying to communicate, there's the sense that what he's communicating translates to two different things. Hey, help push this record. And to, hey, reconsider our relationship. Yes. Take a step back, figure out what we're missing. How can we move forward from here? And then that's where it's like, are we still talking about hip hop? That's all we've ever talked about. Ever since we were 10 years old. So after this scene, Dre, we cut to him meeting Reese at a swanky bar with pool tables and a very like leather smelling mahogany walled old money feel 
And Dre has no money, dog. He's got less money than before. Like, he is meeting Reese at this place that he cannot afford. And as, you know, he approaches her, meets up with her, she's like, drinks are on me. Like, I'm going to order your drink because I know you're a broke-ass bitch, Dre. I was paying for everything in our relationship. They kind of have a discussion where Reese is like, you know, well, we had fun, right? The relationship wasn't completely shitty. And he's like, no, it wasn't completely shitty. It's just not, like, right. It's not going to work out. Yeah. She wants to try again. He doesn't. Well, she says to him, like, did we try? We broke up like we were in high school. Yeah. And she's like, you know, but we're not in high school. We're married. You know, we made vows to each other. Mm-hmm. And he's like, bitch. Va- I know you vows. ain't talking about vows. And once he said, well, you broke those vows, there's not much else she could say. Yeah. She's like, okay. <laughs> you got me there. So the rest of the evening goes amicably. They honestly seem to be having like a bittersweet, but objectively nice time. We cut from there to Sid and Kelby leaving some type of function. I think it's after a basketball game. Kelby's like leaving the locker rooms or whatever. And she meets him. Sid is upset talking about Dre's label. So we can assume that this meeting up with Kelby is happening right after she leaves Dre's hotel room. So she's still kind of fired up. They're walking together. Kelby calls her out for not wanting to get married. Like, he's like, you're dragging your feet on, like, this wedding stuff. You know, we're, like, barely spending time together. You clearly don't want to marry me. Like, I need you to just say it out loud. And she tries to deny it for, like, a second. Like, one split a second. split second. Like, it no. wasn't even that long. Oh, shit. No, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know why your brain won't do what your heart tells it. She can't deny that she does not want to get married. It's definitely because of Dre. In that moment, she takes that engagement ring right off and puts it right into Kelby's fucking hand. And my man takes that shit and walks away. He is heartbroken. It's a real Lon Hammond moment. So now Lathan is so fine. She's so beautiful. And she is at her peak in this movie. And we get a voiceover. I always thought one day I would outgrow my relationship with hip hop. I never thought it was a fad like many, but I never thought it could grow and mature. That's saying that Dre is not the same person that he's always been to her. He's growing and maturing. He's changing. She expects to change and find him the same. And instead, she's changing. He's changing at the same time. And she does this and she goes to the hotel room to find him. He's not in, He's not there because he's out. She walks out of the hotel. And she's walking down the street. She happens to walk by Reese and Dre leaving the pool spot. So you know they're saying goodbye. Mm-hmm. You know, they just had this decision where they've 100% decided they're getting the divorce. But they're still deciding to have a friendly relationship, I guess. But she catches this moment where he's hugging her. They're kind of swinging. They look it a looks romantic. Up. Yeah. And she sees this going on. And she's like, fuck. And she turns around and walks the other way. To her, it looks like he's trying to fix things back up with his, with his wife. The voiceover continues, and it's implied that the voiceover is actually what's going into her book. Because as Mm -hmm. the voiceover kind of wraps up, we get a shot of Sid printing out some final pages from a home printer. Take a shot, everyone, for things that don't exist anymore. And popping a bottle of champagne for her damn self alone. Honestly, looking miserable. So what we can assume is that her book has been finished. She's printing out the final draft and she's popping champagne for herself with not an ounce of happiness because Dre is not there to celebrate with her. She toasts to hip hop. 
So after this scene, we cut to Dre getting back to Trisha's office at the Hot 97 radio station HQ, pretty much threatening her into playing Kavi's CD. Like, he's like, I will come back every week until you play this fucking demo. Try me. I'll do it. And Trisha's like, God damn, sir. So Kavi is waiting for Dre outside the building in his cab. He's just planted outside that door. You know that shit's illegal. Okay, he gives Kavi the good news. He sure does. Gives him the good news. Yo, she's going to play it because she doesn't want to see my fucking face every Friday when I come out here to threaten her. They do a big hug. It's like a very, very sweet moment. The next scene that we cut to is Kavi and Dre in Dre's hotel room with Hot 97 on on a boombox. They're for waiting the, for the Waiting mm-hmm. for the track to play during Angie Martinez's show. Angie Martinez, absolute fucking hip hop radio legend, especially legend. in New York. So why is Dre wearing a full Billy Crystal fit? He's wearing a white mock neck, loose fitting cable knit sweater. He's wearing mid blue nineties jeans. This for sure feels like an intentional choice. Yes. As they're listening to Angie Martinez's show, she happens to be interviewing Sid. So, of course, you know, all of these things converge to happen on the same fucking day, right? She happens to be interviewing Sid about her new book. And Sid reveals the title, I Used to Love Him, H.I.M., a play on the track name by Common, I Used to Love Her, which we've already known as the viewer is like her song with Dre. Yeah, that's like their song. As Sid is describing her book and how she dedicated it to quote-unquote hip-hop, most Def and Dre hear it in real time on the radio. And most Def is like, sorry, Kavi, is like, yo, go get your girl, Humphrey. So we get downstairs. They're in the cab. Dre is like panic dialing the radio station. One of my favorite movie tropes about making a phone call to a radio station is that they always get through. Yeah, right? He didn't have to wait. The number of times... If you are like a 90s kid that you called a radio station hoping that they would answer you and they never fucking did because the the call, the lines would just be jammed up with other idiots also trying to get on the fucking radio. Anywho, he panic dials this radio station. He gets through to the Angie Martinez show. He's like, it's Dre from Boogie Down South Bronx. And Sid, I need to know when you actually fell in love with hip hop. Oh, it's when I heard this track by this artist when I was growing up. And he's like, no, 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 no. When did you fall in love with hip hop? And Sid kind of like gets it. The cousin, Francine, is behind the glass. Mm -hmm. And she's like, fucking talk to him. Yes. It's him. Talk to him. We love Francine in this movie. We love Francine. She's a real real, uh, wing woman. She's like... I fell in love with hip hop the first day I met you, Dre. I love you. Dre. I've always loved you, Dre. And it's so cute because she says that and he's tapping Kavi's shoulder like, yeah, man. I'm sorry. I'm not <laughs> built for this. I it's love- so sappy. Yes. But <laughs> something you don't get a lot, I feel like in movies, is emotional displays from men. That's true. So like when I see that, especially in a movie where you're looking at a strong black man, like I love seeing the emotional display, the sensitivity and the excitement over this girl. It's just like, it's, it's wholesome. 
And it brings me so much joy to see that on screen mm-hmm. and to see it displayed and represented. Like, this isn't, you know, you're not, it's not a Humphrey Bogart where he's like, you know, feelings are inside. Yeah. Like, no, he, he is not afraid of his feelings. He will put them out there and he's not afraid to express them in front of his boy to his boy. Like, I just love seeing that. Okay. Heard. Heard you. He essentially breaks into the Hot 97 offices and interrupts the broadcast. (laughs) (laughs) And bursts into the recording studio with Sid and Angie Martinez. And he goes up against the glass that divides, like, the ante room from the actual recording area and has a piece of lined fucking notebook paper that says, will you go out with me? Yes, no, maybe, Mm -hmm. with boxes. She's crying. Like he said he would. She's already crying. And she's like, yes. And she nods. (laughs) And he officially comes into the recording studio and they start making out. They're in love. Something he says during this display when he's behind the glass is, I've loved you from the first time I laid eyes on you. I love you still. You are my heir. Which is what he said when he talked about the feeling that hip hop gave him when they were sitting on that bench. Oh, it it felt so real. It felt like air. Mm. I love how that comes full circle in his description of how much he loves Sydney. Mm -hmm. Gross. It's so cute. It is very, very cute. Hold up, y'all. You thought the movie was over? Give us one more minute. So they're just they're just they making just out. Make out in the middle of this studio. They interrupt the shit out of Angie Martinez's show, <laughs> out of Sid's interview. No one's ever gonna interview them again. But I love Angie Martinez just going with it. We get Kanye West's doppelganger. You're an ass. <laughs> in the background. You know who I'm talking about. Yeah, I do. I do. We get him to put on the new Kavi song brown sugar while they go into this full makeout session in the middle of the studio mm-hmm. and then we get a very cute and funny scene of Kavi trying to hit on Francine also known as Queen Latifah mm-hmm. behind the glass finally Queen Latifah's like did you want to just ask me out and he's like yeah 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 I think we could do that so the movie ends with the world premiere of Kavi's new song brown sugar Playing for the first time on the radio, we cut to what we're going to assume is the Bronx, and the song is playing out of a boombox at the park. We pan around this park. Everybody, There's kids around this boombox enjoying the song. There are people playing basketball. Pan. There are guys huddled up. There are couples walking around. Just like we started the movie. And there's two kids sitting on a bench hearing this song for the first time, and they look at each other, and they just bump to the song. So essentially, you come full circle at the end of the movie. The same way Dre and Sydney met, you see it ends with these two kids on a park bench listening to Kavi's song for the first time. Mm-hmm. And that's a wrap on Brown Sugar. And that's a wrap. Roll credits. Fade to black. It's a cute movie. I really enjoy this movie. It is a cute movie. I had not seen it much at all until Paola and I did a rewatch over the holidays and yeah, we were excited. She made me watch Serendipity, and I made her watch and Brown Sugar. And you know what? And you know what? That's not payment enough, because Brown Sugar's a good movie, actually. So <laughs> don't come for me, Serendipity heads. But <laughs> There's something I love about this movie. Everything feels tied together, or everything comes full circle. You know, the dialogue, in many ways, comes full circle. 
there's a lot of dialogue that's said in the beginning of the movie that you come to hear again towards the end of the movie. What are your thoughts on this movie, Naj? I think this movie's a sweet one. I think it gets added into the rom-com rotation. This has been on my rom-com rotation for a couple years. It's feel-good. It doesn't get too deep. It doesn't get too angsty. Like, you get the angst and you get the frustration and the longing and the friends to lovers. But overall, the movie is, like, a very sweet smooth on the mind if you're a fan of hip-hop if you're a fan of rap and you know who all of these artists are and shit that's gonna be like another layer for you like a bonus not only do i like this story does it make me feel nice but it's referencing all of these things that i care about and that matter to me have played a big part in my life like music is such an intimate and at the same time like public and publicly shared thing Everyone has their own intimate experiences of music and hip hop being a genre of music, rap being a genre of music. As we were saying earlier, right, recording, like we can remember songs that we would listen to on TRL. We would wait to listen to songs as the music videos would come up. We remembered where we were when certain video uh, music videos premiered. Like those things like etch themselves into your memory And I love the comparison of music etching itself into your memory, shaping your life, and a person etching themselves into your memory, impacting your life, like, you know, for as long as you live. So that's a a really nice allegory in this movie for their relationship. You know, and for older millennials, I think this also hits in a, a bit of a nostalgic spot where you're seeing a lot of, like, early 2000s culture, fashion, you're seeing people on their blackberries yes. like it's just it brings a little bit of that a lot of hats we loved a hat in the early 2000s <laughs> loved it what i also love about this movie is whether you're a hip-hop fan or not like this is you you're in it to see their story develop it's of such a beautiful friends to lovers it's enjoyable from start to finish like it's well paced and like there's always something going on you're not waiting for the next thing to happen it's a rom-com that kind of keeps you engaged Mm -hmm. it moves very very quickly i want brown sugar to get more flowers i want people to relate yeah brown sugar has received flowers from the black community yeah i you know something that i expressed early on in the in the episode is It irks me that it's considered to be, like, a niche movie. Yes. When it is, like, such a universal, cute, soft rom-com. It is such a disservice. Yeah. It really is because it's such a good rom-com. When I say this movie is up there for me with When Harry Met Sally, Mm -hmm. which is an elite rom-com, this movie's up there with that. And... With the dialogue, with the pacing, you know, with how you identify and feel for the characters. Like, unless you're an avid watcher of black cinema, period, you're not going to, this is not going to be under your radar. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I'm super duper guilty of that. I feel like I'm incredibly unaware of media outside the mainstream. So, no, John. Sister. We can't decide between a book and a movie because this is an original screenplay. It show is. I've, I think it's a very good original screenplay. I think it's a very good screenplay. I'm a big fan of this screenplay. And this screenplay was heavily inspired by Mary J. Blige's song, Seven Days, which I listened to as a teenager. Goes through the days of the week. 
starting with Monday, of course. But it's like Monday, you were my friend. Tuesday, we played a game. Ending all the way to Wednesday, you went away. Thursday, things weren't the same. Friday, you came back. So you went away. Things changed while you weren't away. You came back on Friday. I wanted to kiss you. And on Saturday and Sunday, we made love. Now what are we going to do? Very sweet song. Very R&B. Very late 90s R&B. Will your husband watch this with you? Oh, Will yeah. your partner watch this with you? For sure. I mean, our husbands watch this movie with us during the holiday break. My husband will watch this movie every time I put it on. Yeah. Ryan would definitely watch it if I put it on. Like, he would come and sit down with me. Yeah. This is one of those. So, like, most movies, he'll, like, watch one or two times. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he'll dad watch the rest. There's movies where he'll, he'll watch with me, like, you know, seasonally. Yeah. This is one of those movies where anytime I have it on, he'll stop and he'll sit for a minute with me. He enjoys this movie as much as I do. Mm-hmm. I think you get a lot of the male's perspective as well. I feel you get more character development in this movie than in When Harry Met Sally. So maybe that's why it keeps my husband more insane. There's there's more, there's a lot more uh, drama. There are more layers. Things happen, as he would say. <laughs> Things happen, <laughs> as he would say, 100%. On a scale of one to ardently admire and love, mm-hmm. how do you feel about this movie? Me, I'm going to say like it's like a smooth six and a half, seven. Because I okay. like this movie a lot. It hasn't yet become part of my go-to rotation. Mm-hmm. But it should be. It should be. It's just not a movie that gets suggested. It's not a movie. You have to go searching for it. You have to know that it exists. You're not mm-hmm. going to come upon mm-hmm. Brown Sugar by accident. And that's mm-hmm. racial, weird movie marketing bullshit. And like I said before, like this movie deserves more flowers. Yeah. For me, this is an eight and a half. And it's not a nine because there's a couple cheesy lines in the dialogue that are that nothing but worthy. Even though I love the metaphor of hip hop pertaining to Sydney and Dre's relationship, mm-hmm. I feel like by the tail end of the movie, it's so overused. You're, you're starting to get tired. You're I don't want to say tired, but it, it's starting to feel overused. Yeah. Where you're like, all right, guys, we get it. Yeah, like we're done. By the time she's like, are we still talking about hip hop? <sighs> and he's like, that's all we've ever talked about. You're like, yeah, that that is. Yeah, yeah, should really. Let's, <laughs> let's get it moving. It really is all you talk guys about talk something about. else. Damn, that's let's, crazy. Let's move it along. <laughs> and you, I'll you, ask you, is there any generational trauma here? I don't think so. Right. We're in the same I generation. They don't even refer to parents or grandparents. You meet a cousin. Yeah. And we love her. Yes, Queen Latifah. You don't learn about parents. You don't learn you don't learn about anybody's family situation. Nope. I'm very happy to have a movie revolving around black characters with little to no trauma. I love that for us. I agree. I embrace it wholeheartedly. Yeah. Do they stay together? Yeah, duh. They stay together. Of course Come they on. stay together. No talk- question. Those bitches have been Ever together since their he was whole 10 years old, life. You met this girl and she has so much soul. Hello, y'all in your 30s now. Of course you stay together. I'm dead. <laughs> Guys, I hope you enjoyed our discussion on Brown Sugar, the rom-com that could, because everybody should be watching this. Everybody should know more about this movie. It should be on your rotation. 
yes, if you haven't seen it, I hope you're now inspired to give it a watch. Dope. All right. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard and want to hear more, please leave a review anywhere you get your podcasts. Come and find us on Instagram at Podcast. Shoot us an email at cisflixpodcast at gmail.com. And let us know what you think, if you have suggestions or a movie request for us to cover in the future. Thank you. Thank you.